0: From gentlemen, do you realize what we've found? It came from outer space to fill the world with terror. What earthly power can stop this terror? That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop from outer space.
1: Oh, we don't know what extraterrestrial civilization is like, but we know humanity. See Scene Lu.
2: If some good evidence for life after death were announced, I'd be eager to examine it. But it would have to be real scientific data, not a mere anecdote. As with the face on Mars and alien abductions, better the hard truth, I say, than the comforting fantasy. Carl Sagan
3: While man sleeps, strange things flock to nature. Michael Bassey Johnson
2: And welcome back to the podcast from outer space, everyone. Welcome, Loyal Legion. It's your boy, Rob Scott. We got Billy, a.k.a. Billy the Kid, a.k.a. the Korean
3: Cowboy in the studio. Yeehaw, what's going on, gentlemen?
1: (laughs) And as always, it's Ryan Scott. Greetings and salutations, Earthlings. And
2: this is episode 113, where we will be discussing the infamous Barney and Betty Hill abduction case.
1: Yes, uh, this... Okay, this one's a long time coming, guys. I mean, as Rob said... Barney and Betty Hill, a.k.a. the Zeta Reticuli Incident, a.k.a. the White Mountains Abduction, whatever you want to call it, uh, this one is a classic case in UFO lore. Uh, Some say it is to alien abductions what Roswell is to tales of crashed UFOs. This is a key case and I'd say, not only the history of UFOs, but American history in general, as we'll see. And I got to say, guys, strap in, because this is going to be a long one. Uh, now, right off the bat, as always, had either of you heard of this one? Uh, what did you know? What do we got? Um, take what it away. What do you hear? What do you say? Yeah. Does anyone call this the Flintstones
2: abduction case? <laughs> no,
1: but I think we could <laughs> christen that right here.
3: <laughs> yes.
2: I mean, someone has certainly gotten to that over the course of the past hundred years almost, right?
1: Well yeah, we'll see in the outline if you did read it. uh, I have a little uh bit about their friends used to call them the Flintstones. We'll get to it.
2: I am I wrong in saying that I think that there this was like touched on in X Files at some point.
1: Uh so it inspired the episode Jose Chungs from Outer Space and there's like elements of it, but it's Uh, it's not like an outright copy.
2: not, Not by name.
1: No. I think it might be in that new show Project Blue Book by, like, uh, I just kind wanna, of a remake.
2: Maybe it was, like, uh, some alien show on sci-fi back in the day, but I feel like that's how I first heard about it.
1: Okay. And, and just heard, like... Just, like, the... Couple the got basic,
2: abducted. Yeah, the basics of it, like... Flintstones episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, they they were traveling home. It's late at night. They saw lights. They pulled over. Just like the basic details. And then I never really uh, did a deeper dive into it until he started doing the podcast, basically. Okay. Bill?
3: I definitely heard of them before. Uh, probably on Rogan's podcast. Uh, I think he interviewed like their granddaughter or something. Yeah, she, I don't remember her she's name. She's like a, but a UFC I fighter. Her. I
1: think it's Angela Hill or something like that.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Something he, like that. I can't...
1: He does talk about it a fair amount,
3: he UFOs, does, yeah, yeah. so yeah. Huh. okay, but I mean, no i I didn't really get too much into it other than you know that little tidbit, and I knew that you know it was a kind of a well known abduction case,
1: okay, yeah, um, yeah, this one obviously has come up on a a ton of episodes that we've done in the past, most notably that I can think of probably our Grays episode
2: episode number 73 if you guys want to check that one out
1: i think we had a little spiel on this kind of just hit the cliff notes um also as rob said inspired elements of the x files episode jose chungs from outer space now i can't remember i we may have discussed it in our coverage of the x files um that's a three-part series you can check out uh and anywho I know I've stumbled across it in research uh, on countless other episodes, so it was only a matter of time before we gave it its own episode, and that day is today. Um, now, just let me just kind of get you guys into my headspace here. So I'm, I'm researching this one for countless hours uh, over the last uh, month or so. I'm listening to 1950s uh, Nemo Dreamscapes on YouTube. What the hell it's like is these- that? It's like this cool thing for you to fall asleep to where it's like rain and thunder. And then this guy's playing like dream, like um, 50s music with like dream ambience um, on it. That sounds pretty sick. Yeah, it's cool. Check it out. Nemo Dreamscapes on YouTube. I've also been slamming black velvets and uh, listening to the hypnosis tapes, which we'll get into Um, So this put me in a weird place, although I will say not as freaky as the Whitley Stryber episode. You know, I I didn't do any sort of deep meditations or sensory deprivation. um, So I haven't had any abduction nightmares yet with this one. Um,
3: Key word yet. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Now, for those not in the know, uh, Barney and Betty Hill were an American couple who claimed they were abducted by extraterrestrials in the White Mountains of New Hampshire, On the night of September 19th, 1961. Now their experience would kick off an Air Force investigation as part of the infamous Project Blue Book. Uh, The incident would also become the first ever widely publicized, widely publicized, not first ever, just first ever widely publicized alien abduction account. And essentially shape how abduction stories were told and understood from then on out. Now, as is typically the case, debate continues to this day more than 60 years later as to whether they were liars, crackpots, uh, possibly sleep deprived, victims of a hate crime or actually abducted by Greys. And, you know, I will say right up top, this is another hypnotic regression type episode. You know, that's how a majority of their experience came to light. So similar to Whitley Stryber, you know, all the details weren't really accounted for until they went through hypnotic regression. So take that as you will, maybe take it with a grain of salt. Uh, but The Hill story was widely publicized in newspapers, magazines, books, and movies, uh, most notably being the best-selling 1966 book, The Interrupted Journey, which was made into a 1975 television film, The UFO Incident starring James Earl Jones as Barney. Nice. Uh, yeah, now in in July of 2011, the New Hampshire Division of Historical Resources even marked the site of the alleged encounter with one of those historical markers. Um, so that's pretty cool. And as of 2020, it has been reported that, or 2022, it has been reported that Netflix is partnering with Obama's production company, to bring the Betty and Barney Hill story to the platform. Uh, Now, I was reading a little bit of this. I don't know if it's... I believe it's going to be a documentary, but I was reading differing uh, views on that. Some are saying it's live action. With Obama playing Barney. (laughs) I
3: don't don't think Obama's playing Barney. That'd be Um, be pretty cool. I mean, I could see it, actually. I don't think he's an actor. Oh.
1: You think he's the best actor of all time. That's how he tricked all those people. I mean, I think the guy can act. I'm not saying he's the best. I don't know. All right. I, I don't know who's playing Barney. I don't. Need, it might be a documentary, so no need for anyone to play Barney. But um, that is the gist of this one. Now, in this episode, obviously, this is a high-profile case, guys. You know, it's been covered a ton. So with our version, I tried to really get into... We'll say the core of the Apple here, you know, the core of the story. There are thousands of articles, blogs, threads, posts, message boards dedicated to this story out there. And what I did seem to find was that even in the more like mainstream places like history.com or I mean, even in the the guy that wrote the book on this case, there are distortions. um, Things are left out in the book to favor his kind of storytelling Um, and sometimes there's full-on errors in reporting and as we said this one goes back almost 60 plus years Um, and in many cases it's 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 like we always talk about snowball effect it's a game of telephone when these stories are told and retold for this long Um, so with each rendition the story gets a little piece added here something is left out there you know what I'm saying you get the gist right
3: yeah, absolutely, and you know, like like we said in so many different episodes before, it's like p- people just spread a story, and then more people just parrot it, and you know, yeah, a lot of sometimes parrots that's out there. a lot of parrots, a lot of parrots with you know?
1: this one in particular. Um, so with this episode, I compared a good number of versions. You know, I tried to use um, mostly like material that came out at the time. Um, Now, we'll present the facts as straightforward as possible, getting into a little background on the main players, the Hills themselves, uh, before getting into the incident, the investigations. And of course, we've got some theories and angles to examine uh, just what went on in the White Mountains of New Hampshire all those years ago. Uh, So without further ado, let's get into the abduction of Barney and Betty Hill. Uh, So a little background on the big players here. Uh, The Hills lived in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Uh, Now, Barney Hill Jr. was born in 1922 in Newport News, Virginia. Uh, He was a World War II veteran and had been married previously before meeting Betty. Uh, Barney worked for the United States Postal Service and had what was described as a brutal commute to Boston and back for the graveyard shift that he worked. Now, Betty uh, Eunice Elizabeth Barrett was born in Newton, New Hampshire in 1919. Also previously married before meeting Barney. Mm, and, was, lady. Nice. <laughs> yeah, and was a social worker taking on child welfare cases for the state of New Hampshire. Now, Betty and Barney met in the summer of 1956 uh, when Barney and his first wife, Ruby, along with their two children, met Betty while on vacation. Interesting. Yeah. Now, after Barney and Ruby separated early the following year, Barney and Betty, who was also divorced, started getting down and dirty.
2: So. So the story goes.
1: Yeah. So the story goes. Uh, Now, now, (laughs) Betty and Barney were married in Camden, New Jersey, on May 12th, 1960. It was the second marriage for both of them. And they were also now a biracial couple, Uh, which, you know, nothing wrong with that. But at the time, you got to think, you know, at the time, people did think there was something wrong with that. You know, as fucked up as it is. This is 1960s America, you know. Civil rights is a fucking big movement. Racial tensions are high. Um, Now, I'm sure being in New Hampshire, things probably weren't as bad as they could have been for them, right? Am I right in that?
2: Only been to New Hampshire once, but okay, I would think probably a little bit more laid back than being in the South. Okay. Yes, definitely, definitely.
3: Um, I mean, yeah, it is the North. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah, people okay. are still dickheads up there though
1: <laughs> yeah isn't boston yeah. like one of the most racist places in uh america
3: never heard that one maybe I it's mean... right it's
1: right up there with alabama dude <laughs> jesus it's <laughs> weird to god
2: mike yeah oh um Right up there with Mississippi, brother.
1: Yeah, now new okay, so things probably weren't that bad in New Hampshire, but a normal marriage, we'll say, was sadly out of the picture for them in a country that was still segregated in large parts. Um you you've got the it's turning fire hoses on citizens and arresting people for sitting at a lunch counter or in the front of a public bus. Um But, you know, according to the Hills themselves, all their friends were very accepting. The community they were a part of never treated them any differently. Um, In fact, and Rob, this one's right for you. Um, (laughs) Their close friends used to joke that they had the same names as those cartoon characters, uh, Barney and Betty Rubble, uh, the best friends of the Flintstones. Uh, So, you know, Barney's pals were always saying, Barney, my pebbles. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. You remember those commercials? yeah he was always stealing people's pebbles and they were saying barney my pebbles uh which fred flintstone uh reminds me of james gandolfini <laughs> <laughs>
3: but, uh, so, that is so random
1: <laughs> uh yeah because i was watching some of those old commercials i was trying to find like a good clip but i couldn't find the one i remember imagine if he
2: clip. was the voice of fred
1: <laughs> great or because who played him in the live action it was um james john, uh, john good john goodman yeah, john john goodman. yeah. yeah. man should have been gandolfini <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> so, so Bonnie, what the fuck are you doing uh, <laughs> Bonnie, my pebbles huh <laughs> oh, um, my. so back to the hills you know they're they're junking around with their friends they're they're doing flintstone gags um he's stealing the pebbles now, the Hills were active in the their local Unitarian Church. Uh, they were also members of the NAACP. And Barney sat on a local board of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. So, you know, you could say they were fairly upstanding citizens of their community. They were pillars of the community in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, Um Now, despite all this, I'm sure they did catch silent stares of disapproval outside of their community and maybe worse, you know, who knows? I mean, it's like we said, civil rights was a nationwide uh, issue that you couldn't escape at this time, you know, by their own admission, as we said, they didn't care. Uh, Betty and Barney were in love. And in 1961, after 16 months of marriage, they were off on a long delayed honeymoon taking a trip through Niagara Falls and then Montreal. Now, this was a bit of an impulse trip as they apparently left so abruptly that they didn't even go to the bank before it closed for the weekend. They got in their car with their dog Delsey and set off with less than $70 in their pockets. Now, that's about $700 in 2023, so that's not too crazy, right? You know, a little trip to Niagara Falls, 700 bucks in the pocket i could probably get you there right
2: maybe but montreal too yeah i mean montreal is expensive
1: <laughs> french <laughs> okay yeah yeah <laughs> well maybe they could stop Canada. on the way you know they could yeah. hit a
2: bank on the way canadian bank yeah get a couple of fucking doubloons <laughs> is that what they, the use fuck they call
1: them yeah dude check out some porno in the antique shops there remember that <laughs> Toronto, nice. Yeah, little Canada trip we took, checking out some porno in the uh,
3: in the antique shop. <laughs> That's shops. all you remember. <laughs> yeah. playing the Game you Boy guys the definitely, whole time. Uh, <laughs> you had your you, fun. Remember,
2: you guys remember the see-through Game Boys?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotcha. Yeah, I think I was like in, uh, in good old eight.
3: Montreal. <laughs> <laughs> now we we're eight in Toronto, years old looking at porno.
1: Um. All right. Now, now, let me set the scene here for you guys. Okay. So just like let's. Let's take a trip back, okay? So I'll do some, like, you know, back-in-time effects here. Now, the year is 1961. Songs like Stand By Me by Benny King, Runaway by Del Shannon, and Cryin' by Roy Orbison are all over the radio. The cost of a gallon of gas is 27 cents. Black & Decker has just released its first cordless drill. In Washington, D.C., John F. Kennedy delivers the first live presidential television news conference. The Beatles perform with Paul McCartney as their bass guitarist for the first time in Lancashire, England. The American civil rights movement is gripping the nation as the Freedom Riders embark on a bus tour of the American South to protest segregated bus terminals, culminating with the Alabama governor declaring martial law in an attempt to restore order after race riots break out. Uh, the Soviet cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin becomes the first human to travel into outer space and perform the first manned orbital flight in the Vostok 3K82 rocket. Uh, America is losing the space race. And to make matters worse, the Iron Curtain is closing in on Europe, as the barrier that became known as the Berlin Wall is starting to be built in East Berlin. Now, in terms of UFO history, at the time you had the Kenneth Arnold sighting, Roswell, the McMinnville photos, the Flatwoods monster incident. This is just to name a few of the more popular ones. Uh, you know, most people still call them flying saucers. Sci-fi was a hit with shows like The Twilight Zone, and just a few years later, The Outer Limits and Star Trek and others are all over cable TV. Now, with 88% of American homes having a TV by 1961, and with the space race being well underway, it wouldn't be a huge stretch to think that something otherworldly might be up in the skies. Or even perhaps that those craft might have occupants from another world. However, getting into the specifics about what otherworldly beings might look like and where they came from was getting more into the realm of improbable. And furthermore, talking about being physically abducted and having medical experiments performed was absolutely unheard of at the time.
3: Yeah, so they were like the first kind of, uh, like they set the stage for the whole like probe in the butt you know being taken up in the spaceship and having like you know these people and you're like on an operating table and they stick yeah pretty much your ass.
1: um because they weren't the first abduction case uh i think that was this gentleman in south america antonio vias boas or something like that i think we talked about him on our our sexual encounters episode but but yes essentially like The standard gray abduction of like taking a board in this metal scientific room and they're poking and prodding and sticking probes up your ass like that's all that's not like a staple even being abducted isn't even a staple. Like we said there was one case in South America and that's not even widely publicized Um, so like uh, aside from sci-fi movies and shit like day the earth stood still. And they're not doing shit like that in those movies. Um, So, yeah, like, this is virtually unheard of.
3: Yeah. That's crazy.
1: Um, Now, the incident of today's episode took place at about 10.30 p.m. on September 19th, 1961. So, the Hills are driving back to Portsmouth from vacation in Niagara Falls in Montreal now, from Montreal to Portsmouth, about a five-hour drive, give or take. Um, now, they were planning to originally stay in Montreal, but they changed their minds when they heard about a storm heading for the East Coast. Uh, you know, it's still hurricane season. This is when you say, I thought hurricane season was over. <laughs> I
2: feel like I used that one too many times. Okay, all
1: right. Uh, now, they stop. They stopped for dinner in uh, Kodakook, Canada. Uh, Last stop before hitting the border. And then they stop again for coffee and gas in Colebrook, New Hampshire, uh, before pressing south through the White Mountains and on home to Portsmouth. Now, they're just south of Lancaster, New Hampshire, about two hours from home, when Betty claimed to have observed a bright point of light in the sky that moved from below the moon and the planet Jupiter, which was visible that night, before moving upward to the west of the moon. Now, as Betty continued to watch, whatever this light was seemed to move with the car as Barney steered down the curving mountain road. The light zigged and zagged behind trees and mountain ridges, only to appear moments later. Sometimes it seemed as if it was moving towards them in a game of cat and mouse. So this is like kind of like um in the movie Nope, when he's out on the horse, like, In the mountains, that's what this kind of reminds me of. And the UFOs kind of moving in between clouds and around the mountain ridges. Think of that.
3: Um, Yeah, we've definitely heard this type of stuff before.
1: Yeah. Now, clearly, they thought this had to be an illusion. You know, this is possibly the car's movement playing tricks on them, making it seem like the light was moving. Um, Now, because of the erratic movement and sheer brightness of this light, Betty convinced Barney to stop the car for a closer look. Now they needed to walk their dog Delcy anyway, so Barney figures what the hell. Uh, He stops at a scenic turnout just south of Twin Mountain. Now observing with binoculars, Betty saw as the white light was really an object spinning in the air with flashing multicolored lights. Barney takes a look and he says, Hey, This is a commercial airliner traveling towards Vermont on its way to Montreal. Now, Barney was also a logical man who would not give flying saucers a second thought. Uh, However, he soon changed his mind because without making any sort of banked turn like an airplane would, the craft rapidly descended in their direction. Now, this caused Barney to realize that this was no plane. Uh, they swiftly got back into their car and drove toward Franconia Notch, a narrow mountainous stretch of road. Now, there is a picture of the road they are driving on there. Uh, so you can kind of get a scene of this a night, nighttime version of this in your head.
2: I think he hopped in the car and said, where we're going. We don't need roads.
1: Yeah. And he said, that's no moon. Uh, now now the hills continued driving down the isolated road moving a little slower in order to observe the object as it came closer the couple watched as the dead silent illuminated craft continued moving erratically in the night sky now about one mile south of indian head the object rapidly descended towards their vehicle causing barney to stop in the middle of the highway There, a huge silent craft hovered about 80 to 100 feet above the hill's 1957 Chevy Bel Air. Classic. Oh, yeah. Badass car, dude. Um, Now, it filled the entire field of view of the windshield, and Barney described it as a huge pancake. Grabbing his pistol and shoving it into his pocket, Barney moved closer to the object, thinking, My God, what the hell is this thing? Can't be real. Now using his binoculars once more, Barney claimed to have seen what appeared to be humanoid figures peering from the craft's rows of windows. In unison, all but one figure moved. The one remaining continued to look at Barney and seemed to communicate a message, telling him,
3: Stay where you are and keep looking. Just keep looking.
1: Now, I am actually going to play this part in the hypnosis session um, so we can kind of get a sense of, of what um, what Bar... We can hear it in the man's own words. Um, so...
0: Yes, go on. He's telling you. He's looking at me. What did he tell you? Stay there. And keep looking.
4: Just keep looking and stay there. And just keep looking. Just keep looking. Could you hear each other? Oh, I got to pull these binoculars away from my eyes. Because if I don't, I'll just keep staying there.
1: Jesus Christ. Now, he also mentions in the first um, hypnosis session that the the leader looks like a friendly Irishman, or he has a face like a friendly Irishman. And then he had a recollection of, this is again from the hypnosis session, of the humanoid figures wearing glossy black uniforms and black caps. He describes them as Nazis. Um, And he says one is wearing a scarf. So here is that clip here.
0: What's his face like? What does it make you think of? It's round. I think of... I think of... a red-haired Irishman. I don't know why. But... I think I know why. Because Irish are usually hostile to Negroes. And when I see a friendly Irish person, I react to it by thinking, I will be friendly. He looks like a German Nazi. He is a Nazi. He is a Nazi. Did he have on a uniform? Kind of he was black. He had a black scarf around his neck, dangling over his left shoulder.
4: You pointed okay. it out as if it were on you.
0: I never noticed okay. that. He had a black scarf on his neck. How did you see these figures so clearly at that distance? I was looking at him with binoculars. Oh.
1: So. Basically, at this point, we have an Irish Nazi wearing a scarf. Um. <laughs> that is
3: now. That sounds crazy. Well, he was a World War II vet, right? Right. Okay, yeah. so maybe, yeah, I don't know. That could be part Haven't of it. I don't know which theater he fought in. Maybe.
1: Yeah, and again, I don't know what his job in the war. I don't. I. Th- would assume army, but uh I don't know. I mean he could have been Navy. Um, who knows? I didn't I didn't actually find that information out. Um it's actually stationed in Ireland. (laughs) Yeah, but (laughs) why? I don't know. Those are just descriptions I pulled out of the hypnosis sessions that I thought struck me as kind of odd. Now he says that there were red lights on what appeared to be Um, So he's looking at this thing. He sees the Irish Nazi wearing the scarf um, up in the window with the binoculars. He says there were red lights on what appeared to be batwing fins that began to telescope out of the sides of the craft and a long structure started to descend from the bottom of the craft. He says the silent craft was now within 50 to 80 feet overhead and 300 feet away from him. Um, And he had a startling thought. We're about to be captured. Now, Barney then tore the binoculars away from his eyes and ran back to the car. In a panic, he told Betty, They're going to capture us. Now, Barney drove away as fast as he could, telling Betty to look for the object out the window. Uh, She rolled down the window and looked up. Almost immediately, the hills heard a rhythmic series of beeping and buzzing sounds, which seemed to bounce off the trunk of their vehicle. The car vibrated, and a tingling sensation overcame each of their entire bodies. They then experienced the onset of a seemingly altered state of consciousness. Feeling instantly drowsy, they lost consciousness. Now, a second series of beeping and buzzing sounds returned, the couple to full consciousness they came to around two hours later they found they had traveled nearly 35 miles south but had only vague and spotty memories they could recall making a sudden sharp unplanned turn and encountering a roadblock and observing a fiery orb floating in the road um so that's just the initial encounter now any thoughts here i mean what are
3: we thinking I think it's pretty crazy how, you know, they said that they were 35 miles south, but they didn't remember anything about, like, getting there at all. They, like, lost consciousness. If that's true, that's pretty crazy.
1: Like, they just heard beeping and then were, like, in a daze and then just, like, came to again, like, 35 miles south, still driving on the road. Right,
3: but they, like, didn't realize how they got there. It's, you know, I guess technically the that's the time they were abducted.
1: So they, they get back home in Portsmouth at about dawn. Um, they get everything unloaded and they sat down and just tried to make sense of the night. Um, now the couple, the couple claims they had some odd feelings and impulses. They could not explain. Uh, Betty insisted their luggage be kept near the back door and not in the main part of the house. Uh, Barney says he was compelled to examine his genitals in the bathroom Though he found nothing unusual, and both seemed aware of some sort of puzzling presence. Uh, now, possible trace evidence. So, their both of their watches stopped working, along with the analog clock on the dash of the fifty-seven Bel Air. The leather strap on Barney's binoculars was torn, uh, though he could not recall it tearing. And the toes of his best dress shoes were scraped as if as if he was dragged on the on the toes of his shoes. Now, I, I can't remember. I was trying to find it again, but I saw a picture of the shoes somewhere. And it it's not like just a minor scuff, like somebody stepped on your shoe or you hit it on a rock from the side like they were fucked up, you know, uh, like, like it looks like he, up. Was, like he was doing like kick flips in the fucking things.
2: Sounds like he was just trying Whoa. to survive the night. You know what I mean? <laughs>
3: oh yeah! <laughs> nice drop. Check out. The I mean, <laughs>
1: I think they were. I think they both were trying to survive the night. Now, so they took they took long showers to remove possible contamination, and they each drew a picture of what they had observed. Um, now perplexed, the hills tried to reconstruct the series of events as they witnessed the UFO and drove home. Uh, But immediately after they heard the buzzing and beeping sounds, their memories just became sort of fragmented and incomplete. Uh, Now, after sleeping for a few hours, Betty woke up and placed her shoes and the dress she had worn during the drive in her closet, observing that the dress was torn at the hem, zipper and lining. Uh, Now, later... She retrieved the items from her closet and she noted a pinkish powder on her dress. Um, she, she initially threw it away, but then changed her mind and and just kind of folded it and left it in her closet. Now, over the years, five laboratories have conducted chemical and forensic analysis on the dress, and we will get to those findings later in our um, theories segment, but pretty interesting. Um, now, Rob, This is what you were asking. There was also shiny concentric circles about half dollar size round spots on the car's trunk that had not been there the previous day. Now, Betty and Barney experimented with a compass, noting that when they moved it close to the spots, the needle would just kind of jump around rapidly, and when they moved it away from the spots, it would drop down normal. Hmm. So... So, at this point, you know, I imagine they're like Todd and, and Margot in Christmas Vacation. You know, Barney's like, well, obviously, something had to abduct us. Something had to scuff my shoes. <laughs> and she's like, and why is my dress all torn, Barney? <laughs> well, I don't know, Betty. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, they're funny. probably yeah. thinking, what the fuck is going on? Um... So what are we thinking of just the of the initial encounter and some of this evidence? I mean, what do we got? Anything?
3: Are these sexual
1: aliens? (laughs) So, I mean, we'll see in the hypnosis. I don't think they had sex with any of either of them.
3: Okay. well, the only reason I kind of randomly interjected that was she noticed that like her dress was torn at the hem zipper and lining. And just, I don't know. It's just kind of weird. Like, Well, we'll see. When they I read did, that earlier, I was like... Yeah,
1: hmm. yeah. Um, I mean, we will see, I think, why that's the case. But that is um, an odd thing to note, which I think could play into some of our theories. But, I mean, what do you guys... Like, this happens to you guys. What's the first thing you're doing? What do you think?
3: Well, I, I think some of the most intriguing evidence um, was what you mentioned, the first thing you mentioned when you spoke of trace evidence. It was both their watches stopped working, you know, at the same time. Cause like what are the chances of two watches owned by the same people to stop working at the same time? And three the probability if you of that count is very the one low. in the car. Exactly. So I mean the probability of that is very low. So if that happened that's you know that, that could be hard you know, some some hard proof of some type of something that's out of the ordinary, I guess. Now
1: also they're driving in the middle of fucking these mountains. Who knows what kind of secret military bullshit's going on up there. Maybe they pass through, pass through some fucking like shock wave that just kind of stopped their watches or something. I mean, is there like, could that be explained by something other than aliens? Probably. Right.
3: Yeah. Just how often does that happen? Like, I don't, in
2: fucking New Hampshire. Dude. I
3: mean,
1: okay. Is there a base near there? Oh, I think there's got to be. I mean, <sighs> no way, dude. But what
3: what types of things could stop a watch if you drove past a base?
1: <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm just
2: kind of spitballing here. Um, okay. Well, I'm sure as hell not holding a compass up to my car. I don't know where they got that idea.
1: Well, actually, Rob, they got that idea from a physicist who said that radiation reacts to a compass. Um, mm. so don't you look like a fool now? I guess so. <laughs> you wouldn't know a compass up to your
2: car? Why not? You think it's stupid? I'm not carrying around a compass with me on most days. Number one.
1: Well, number Except two. Except the one on my phone. Well, you need to get yourself an Indiana Jones compass, buddy. Oh. Well, Keep it in your car in case you come across any aliens. Uh, you got one in <laughs> yours? I got a compass right here. In your car though? No, on this desk right here. If I was abducted by You are by a aliens, boy scout. As my grandpa's in the war, dude. My dad gave it to me. Uh, so if any aliens He's abducted me... It's given to me, him by a Nazi wearing a black uniform. <laughs> yeah, it does. Irish, Irish Nazis.
3: <laughs> Irish Nazis with scarves.
1: Um, Everywhere. Yeah, so, okay. So weirdest thing we're thinking is the watches stopping. What about the circles and the compass? Rob thinks that's just like... What, what do you think is going on there? Maybe that's just like... Uh, icp magnets how do they work type deal
2: i mean that's definitely a weird situation
1: and what would you do if this happens to you like you see these circles on your car you hold a compass up well, to what it. what can you do exactly i mean this is the 60s guys you're gonna write a book about it <laughs> okay <laughs> so okay that's pretty much all you can to do uh, yeah yeah yeah, okay. So, Police
2: aren't going to do anything except laugh at you.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, especially... military is
2: just going to ask you a bunch oh, of yeah. dumb
1: questions and then not do anything with it. All right, well, let's get into that. Let's get into that. So on September 21st, uh, Betty telephones Pease Air Force Base uh, to report their UFO encounter. Now, for fear of being labeled a complete fucking whack job Idiot. Uh she 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 withheld some of the details, like seeing actual humanoid figures. Um and I believe aside from her call I like I know she called her sister, who I believe talked to her neighbor who was the physicist that told her to hold the compass to the car. And then she told they told the neighbors upstairs, because I guess they lived in like a duplex situation and they told the upstairs neighbors what happened. Um, but this air force report was one of the first reports, or I guess just people in general that she told about the incident. Um, now Betty telephoned the air force because she was worried about radiation or some type of exposure. Um, so she's like, you know what the hell is going on here? Let me get a second opinion, call up the air force. And also that's, uh, it is hilarious that this is a time where you could just, like, phone up the Air Force, you know? <laughs>
3: yeah. Is... Like,
1: Dude, I feel like back in the day, back in this time, you could definitely get a hold of, like, government figures, like, high up, higher up people. Like, it's not like today is what I'm getting at.
3: Yeah. Everyone today is in, like, protected cages. or like, Yeah. And, and people insulated. were
1: more more trusting back then, you know? You didn't have these trolls and shit. Um, it was
3: more communal for sure. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, You could you probably know. call up a base these days and still get a hold of someone.
1: Okay. All right. We'll we'll call up the Air Force Base after this. Um, <laughs> you got something to <laughs> report? Now, so, um, so she's trying to get a second opinion. She thinks they've been exposed to God knows what. Now on September twenty second, uh, Major Paul W Henderson telephoned the Hills for a more detailed interview. Uh, Now, in Henderson's report dated September 26, he determined that the hills had probably misidentified the planet Jupiter. Now, in the official report 100-1-61 air intelligence information record, this was later changed to optical condition, inversion, and insufficient data. Now, again, this is just this guy's initial opinion. Um, and they did seem to take this somewhat seriously, you know, as this report was forwarded to Project Blue Book, which was the U.S. Air Force's UFO research project. Um, and we'll get into their findings later. But also remember, this is just the sighting and she left out the humanoid figures. So up until this point, no one really knows about any abduction business or really even seeing any extraterrestrials, will say. Um, Now, within days of the encounter, Betty checked out a UFO book by retired Marine Corps Major Donald E. Kehoe uh, from her local library. Now, Kehoe is the head of NICAP at this point, which is the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomenon, which is a civilian UFO research group. Um, On September 26th, Betty wrote to Kehoe and she told the full story, including the details about the humanoid figures that Barney had observed through the binoculars. Uh, now, Betty wrote that she and Barney were considering hypnosis to help recall what happened. Um, and then so let's just get into kind of Betty and Barney's mental state at this point, because. They're kind of keeping this thing close to their chest at this point. You know, Barney wanted to kind of just forget about the whole thing. Um, and he was deeply disturbed uh, from whatever went on. Now, Betty, she had only really, as we said, she told her sister. Um, she filed a report with the Air Force, but withheld some information. She wrote, wrote this letter to NICAP. Um, so really, NICAP only has the full complete story. I mean, other people got some idea of the story. Like we said, they're upstairs neighbors, um, her sister's neighbor. Um, so I'm sure a handful of people kind of knew about the story, but it, it like, it's like Rob said, it's not like Betty and Barney are starting a podcast on this thing. You know, they're not blasting this story out to everyone. Um, Now, I think it was about 10 days after the incident, Betty started having vivid dreams of the entire incident. And they were so vivid that she even thought about them throughout the day. Uh, Now, she started keeping a dream journal to track the events. Um, But, you know, whatever happened to them out there in the mountains, this was kind of slowly eating away at their minds. They just couldn't shake whatever this thing was. Um,. Now, Betty's NICAP letter, it was eventually passed on to Walter N. Webb. He was a Boston astronomer, NICAP member. Uh, He met with the Hills on October 21st, 1961. Uh, They gave him an interview with everything they could remember. Now, in that interview, Barney stated that he believed he had developed some sort of mental block. And he suspected that whatever happened was so terrifying, he did not wish to remember. Um, His mind would not allow him to remember. He described in detail all that he could remember about the craft, the appearance of the quote, somehow not human figures aboard it. Uh, So he told him all about the Irish Nazis with the scarves. Um, Now, (laughs) Webb's one guy. (laughs) Now, now (laughs) Webb stated it was his opinion. That they were telling the truth and the incident probably occurred exactly as reported except for some minor uncertainties and technicalities that could be tolerated in any such observation where human judgment is involved. So things like exact time, length of visibility, exact sizes of objects and occupants, distance and height, all of these things are going to be a little skewed. You know, you're not like... You're not keeping a clear mental record of all that stuff in the moment. Um,
2: Well, especially if you're trying to block it out. Definitely not going to remember all that shit.
1: Well, yeah. And I mean, that's really blocking out the abduction. Like, they don't even know about that at this point. But the sighting, I think they kind of remember. You know, we know what went on. The reports they're filing. Like, all they know about at this point is a sighting. Now comes up the missing time. So this is where things start to get a little deeper, a little more X-Files-esque, we'll say. So on November 25th, 1961, the Hills were again interviewed at length by NICAP members, this time C.D. Jackson and Robert E. Homan. Now they read Webb's initial report and they had some follow-up questions. Uh, now, one of their main questions was about the length of the trip. So from the time they left the diner in Colebrook is about 180 miles, give or take should have taken about four hours. Now, they arrived home nearly seven hours after their departure from Colebrook. Uh, when Homan and Jackson noted this discrepancy to the hills, they had no explanation. Uh, now, again, we see this phenomenon known as missing time in a ton of abduction cases. But back in 61, uh, nobody had ever heard of this. And the Hills essentially had no clue what happened for about 35 miles on U.S. Route 3 between Indian Head and Ashland. Uh, now, both claim to recall the image of a fiery orb sitting on the ground.
3: It's traffic. You know.
1: Oh, oh. <laughs> They just hit some bad traffic like, and just wanted to mentally like, block it out. <laughs>
2: fell, fell asleep for a couple hours ended those, up 35 miles south.
3: Yeah. Those 35 miles, let me tell you what. Sat in traffic for three hours. <laughs> I was
1: thinking uh, <laughs> if they were like drowsy falling asleep, I don't think that would be that, that crazy. They just came blackout drunk. <laughs> I don't know about that.
2: Drinking on the way
1: home. Um, I mean, maybe who knows, man, Barney's just fucking slamming the bottle. Um, <laughs> all right. So they oh, both man. recall this image of a fiery orb sitting on the ground. Now, one of the nightcap gentlemen, uh, told them to try revisiting the area, perhaps get you know, jog some memories. Uh, now by February of 1962, they were, the Hills were making frequent weekend drives to the white mountains, hoping that revisiting the site might spark some more memories. Now, they were unsuccessful in trying to locate the site where they recalled seeing a fiery orb sitting in the road. However, they were able to eliminate several possible routes, um, which just left them with even more questions about missing time. So, essentially, it's like there's no way they could have gotten lost. It's basically one road through these mountains. It's not like they could have taken some other path And gotten lost for three hours or some shit like that. Um, Now eventually, uh, some years later, they did find what they believe was the capture site on Labor Day weekend 1965. Now there is a picture of Betty standing at what is believed to be the capture site. Um, But we're still back in 1962. Um, So now let's get into the hypnosis. As we said. The subject of hypnosis had sort of come up and and Betty was on board with this. You know, she wanted to recover these memories. Barney, he was apprehensive, you know, uh, but he figured hell, you know, maybe this will help Betty put to rest what he described as, quote, a nonsense about her dreams. So on November. Now, this is where timeline events, all that is kind of important. So. November 23rd, 1962 is about a year after the event. Um, the Hill spoke to a discussion group at their pastor's home, Reverend John Stewart McPhee. Um, they also stayed to answer some questions from the group. Irish gentleman? I, I believe. I mean, I guess he was an Irish gentleman. I don't know if he was a, a Nazi with a scarf. Um, now, fast forward to March 3rd, 1963. The Hills led a discussion at their church about life in the universe as part of the church's couples club, and in this meeting, they told their entire UFO experience. Now, September seventh, nineteen sixty-three, Air Force Captain Ben Sweet Sweat uh, gave a sweet or sweat—I don't know how you would say that—but uh, he gave a formal lecture on hypnosis to a meeting at the same church. Now, afterward, the Hills approached him privately and told him about their encounter, and he was particularly interested in the missing time. Now, the Hills asked if he would hypnotize them to recover their memories, but he declined, and he actually cautioned them against going to an amateur hypnotist such as himself. So, this is kind of noble. You know, this guy's not out to just kind of... Get some sensationalized UFO story, like he's saying, "Hey, no, you guys got to go to a real deal hypnotist if you actually want this to work." Um, you know, he's given them some good advice. Now, on November third, nineteen sixty-three, the Hill spoke uh, to a group of over two hundred people at an open to the public meeting before a UFO study group in Quincy, Massachusetts. Now, at this meeting, Barney laid out the saucer sighting in full detail. And Betty told the group about her dreams as well. Now, once again, they fielded questions from the audience at the end of the presentation. Now, a John H. Luttrell was also rumored to be in attendance. And we'll get more into that later. Now, by this time, Barney's not doing well. You know, mentally, he's all fucked up. He started drinking again. He's got anxiety, insomnia, high blood pressure. His ulcers are flaring up again. And on top of all this, a ring of warts had appeared in a perfect circle around his groin, which needed to be surgically removed.
2: Jesus.
3: Yeah, that's gross.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty fucking wild. Um, Minus the warts sounds like (laughs) me. Okay, so you got ulcers, you're an alcoholic, you got high blood pressure, anxiety, and insomnia? Yeah. Okay, so you might have been abducted. We need to check out your groin. No no <laughs> warts there, I'll tell you that. No warts that you can see? No. All right, you want to keep an eye on that. Ulcers um, aren't too bad. Okay. <laughs> okay, so, so you're saying <laughs> suck it up, Barney?
2: No, I'm saying right now for me, Oh, Okay, okay. well, keep an eye on that now. The anxiety, insomnia, and high blood pressure, though.
1: Okay, all right. Now maybe start hitting the bottle a little harder. <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe you're not drinking enough to quell the no anxiety. bad
2: influence. The insomnia just pass out. Uh, drunk. yeah.
1: Now, now Barney was seeing a psychiatrist who he liked and trusted, um, and he eventually asked his psychiatrist about hypnosis. Now his psychiatrist referred the hills to Doctor Benjamin Simon of Boston. Um, I so hate the
2: psychiatrist.
1: <laughs> now, now let's get into this gentleman because this is an important part in the tale. Uh, so Doctor Benjamin Simon, he is a, a graduate of Stanford University uh, and the Washington University School of Medicine and Johns Hopkins University. Wow. Uh, yeah. Now this guy, he was the real deal. You know, he was an acknowledged expert in therapeutic hypnosis. Um, He'd used it extensively to treat military psychiatric disorders, now known as PTSD, uh, during World War II. And at that time, he was chief of neuropsychiatry and executive officer at Mason General Hospital on Long Island. Um, Dr. Simon also did not believe in UFOs, didn't care about UFOs. He was simply trying to help his patients
2: don't know about him don't care (laughs) about a long island
1: yeah i'm sure that's exactly (laughs) how he that is exactly how he sounded we heard him in the tapes now now i guess what are we thinking about i think we touched on this in our whitley striber episode hypnotherapy hypnotic regression like it's controversial within the scientific community because a lot of people say it can kind of implant these false memories it's it's dubious science we'll say it's spotty i mean what are you guys thinking of it
2: well i mean this doctor's initials are bs so
1: (laughs) okay now what about him helping the war veterans rob this is a good man he's helping these veterans
2: i'm not saying he's not a good guy
1: okay now do you think though that there's something to it i mean if he can actually have I mean, if he's helping these World War II veterans, there surely has to be something to this, right? Maybe. Or is it a placebo effect, full placebo?
2: I don't don't think it's a placebo effect.
1: Okay, so you, I guess, are on
2: board with this? You think this is... Well, I think that it kind of gets you to dive deeper into your thoughts than you normally would when you're... Not under hypnosis okay. And I feel like talking about Stuff that you've like buried deep In your subconscious Is usually like Helps you get over whatever it is that's Affecting you So I think it can help but As far as The like in relation to this case I don't know Like you said you're not really sure what this guy Did in the war so it's like Is he really Diving into his abduction story, or is did he do some like fucked up shit in the war, and that's what's really eating away at him? You know,
1: well, maybe correct it's a combo me if, of both. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong. I th- and this could be a fully racist statement, but did it's, it? Maybe we don't say it. <laughs> though, no, bud. weren't like do um, say it in World War Two. Weren't like squads of of black soldiers used to like move bodies and shit. Like, they did, like, fucked up jobs in World War Two, right?
3: Uh-huh. Uh, I would not, not entirely.
1: I mean, I know not exclusively, because you have, like, the Tuskegee Airmen and shit like that, but I'm saying a large amount of squads. Didn't they call them, like, Buffalo Soldiers?
3: Uh, I think that was, like, longer. That was further back. I think that was... Well, no, I mean, I mean yeah, that's the thing of Bob Marley. <laughs> no,
1: no they, that's the <laughs> original Buffalo Soldiers. But I think there was like a World War II squad that was strictly like they went in France after the U.S. Army, and they were strictly like tasked with just collecting the bodies and like fucked up shit like
3: oh. that. But I could be wrong. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm I'm not really aware right? of that. Oh, there we go. Uh, why the, don't, why the, don't you
1: go ahead and read that for us, Rob? Rob's googled it right here. <laughs> some crack research. The divisional name
2: Buffalo Soldiers Division was inherited from the 366th Infantry Division, one of the first units organized in the division. The 92nd Infantry Division was the only African-American infantry division that participated in combat in Europe during World War II. Most other units were used as support units.
1: Okay. Now, again, I don't know what Barney did. He could have been... Like, he could have just had, like, a desk job or, like, an administrative job. I don't know that he necessarily saw combat, you know?
3: Yeah, I I, I think that is a good question that needs to be answered because my take on the hypnotherapy, hypnotic regression stuff is, I mean, it seems to be working for these, you know, sufferers of PTSD, like you were saying, the veterans that, like, that witness such misery and and. Terrible things. It's like Rob, like Rob was saying, how it you know kind of it forces you to reach into your subconscious and deal with them and face those issues, and hopefully, it when you come out of it, you know it it's a clean slate. It's almost like you know when people talk about tripping on ayahuasca or something, and they come to these like revelations in their life, um, like Aaron Rodgers. The thing, the th- exactly, but <laughs> my biggest question, and I'll keep it brief is just like how do you know that those memories and quote-unquote like suppressed experiences or memories end quote aren't just things conjured up in your mind because you're telling yourself that you're in a hypnosis and therefore maybe your brain kind of goes off in tangential ways and like Right. You can just start coming up with shit and then believe that shit.
1: And again, yeah, I think that's kind of where the dubiousness comes into play because, I mean, if you boil down, like, we talk about, like, the brain and, like, science's understanding and memory on many different episodes. But that essentially is what memory is. You know, how can you even trust your own memory? Like, what's real? What isn't? Like, if you think about it, your memory is you just recalling firing different like synapses in your brain to recall events that happened. If you don't fire those in the exact sequence as when you remembered it, it could be fractal. It could be different than what you remember. Um So I guess that, yeah, is where the kind of false memories come into play. But again, there has to be like... There has to be something to this or it wouldn't be like a practiced um, science, you know, I guess, like soft science.
3: And it can still work for people, you know, even if they trick themselves into thinking that a memory, like, for example, Barney or Betty tricks themselves being, you know, under the spell of hypnosis to where they actually think and conjure up these memories that they truly believe are real. And coming out of that, and it may have just stemmed from like a crazy dream or something, you know, or like maybe his PTSD, Um, or it could actually be, you know, real memories and experiences. And I don't want to discount them entirely, but I think it's important to ask, you know, those questions about, like, even if someone deals with false memories, if it works for them from like a medical standpoint, and they come out of it like in a better mental space, then fantastic he's done his job but that doesn't make the memories real If that makes sense
1: now okay so this guy dr simon i mean this is literally like he's like the guy in office space you know he's putting betty and barney into hypnosis he has a heart attack and they're just stuck in the ufo (laughs) 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 no no (laughs) um no, so, so the Hills first meet Dr. Simon on uh, December 14th, 1963. Uh, now he meets with them. He talks to them a few times, kind of preps them for the process, uh, you know, has them go in and out just to kind of get used to it. Um, and in their early discussions, he comes to the conclusion that this UFO encounter was causing Barney far more worry and anxiety than he was willing to admit. Now, Dr. Simon began hypnotizing the Hills on January 4th, 1964. Uh, So he hypnotized Betty and Barney several times each, and the sessions lasted until June 6th, 1964. Now, Dr. Simon did conduct the sessions on Barney and Betty separately so that they could not overhear one another's recollections. Um, and at the end of each session, he would reinstate amnesia so that they wouldn't have a clear memory of these events. Um, now, we'll start with Barney. Sounds kind of sus. Why does that sound sus? The amnesia part. Well, I mean, he's just... it. Think of, like, office space. You know when he has the heart attack and he's stuck in, like, the state of just fucking coolness? Yeah. Like, that would be... Fucked up if he just let them remember all this crazy shit, especially after what we'll see they get into. He's just basically putting them back to normal. Okay, yeah. You know? um, now, doc- so let's start with Barney. Doctor Simon started first with Barney. Barney. Uh, now, in Barney's sessions, uh, he gets extremely emotional and seemingly petrified, and he is overcome with fear. Uh, now, he has these powerful emotional outbursts and is is in a state of of disbelief. Um now I've got a clip here of just just listen to the sheer terror in uh in in Barney Hill here. Um
4: God, I was scared. It's all right. You can go right on, experience it. It will not hurt you now. I got to get my gun. All right. All right, that's all. Right. Start I get go to go, this way, Steve. You forget now.
0: Oh, Lord. Just now. You've forgotten.
4: Oh.
0: Calm now. Relaxed. Deeply relaxed.
4: And I think I'm not afraid. I, I'll, I'll shoot it down. If, uh, I'm not afraid. And I walk. I walk out. And I walk across the road.
0: And there it is, up there.
4: Oh God, everything. Right. Right.
0: Oh on. Calm down, it's there, but you should see it, but it's not going to hurt you.
3: Go on. Yeah, no, it it was pretty... He definitely sounded in legitimate distress, so...
1: And so, yeah, that's why... That's why, Rob, the doctor reinstated amnesia, because based on those early responses from Barney... Um, he's saying, hey, I'm not going to allow this gentleman to remember these okay, sessions okay. until he could like fully remember them without being traumatized. I mean, you know, he's screaming like a fucking banshee there. Now, under hypnosis, Barney reported that the binocular strap had broken when he ran from the UFO back to his car. Uh, he recalled driving the car away from the UFO, but afterwards he felt irresistibly compelled to pull off the road and drive into the woods he eventually saw six men standing on the dirt road the car stalled and three of the men approached the car they told barney do not fear us he was still extremely frightened and reported that the leader told him
2: close your eyes
1: Now, Barney described that the beings uh, were uh, Barney described the beings as generally similar to Betty's hypnotic recollection, not her dreams, which is an important distinction. Now, Barney said that the beings often stared into his eyes with a terrifying, mesmerizing effect. Under hypnosis, Barney would say things like, quote, oh, those eyes, They're, they're my brain. Now, that was from his first session. And from his second session, he would say things like, quote,
2: I was told to close my eyes because I saw two eyes coming close to mine. And I felt like those eyes pushed into my eyes. All I see are these eyes. I'm not even afraid that they're not connected to a body. They're just there, close to me, pressing against my eyes.
3: Uh Oh, rob dude every single time you do a voice you for some reason you always have a country accent <laughs> i mean
1: i guess that did kind of
2: sound like barney although i was trying to do it like what i like how i heard on his audio i was trying to get as close to that as i could <laughs> all right
1: but also i doesn't sounds like doesn't <laughs> barney kind of sound like marv from uh home alone like he's like I'm not so sure about this, Betty. <laughs>
3: like, you know, not, <laughs> like, like, I don't really know. Harry, yeah, a little yeah. bit, Betty.
1: <laughs> oh, uh, now he also described the entities as having large slanted eyes, and this is a quote from Barney. Um, so he said they had large slanted eyes, but not like a Chinese.
3: I'm offended.
1: Uh, but now see, you're Korean, not Chinese. Not yeah,
3: Chinese.
1: not Chinese.
3: I mean, I guess I'm the racist one, but I could be racist you're against Korea. my own race. I'm Koree.
1: These his eyes are not slanted like a Korean. Jesus. Um, a Korean. So Barney described that uh, he and Betty were taken onto the disc-shaped craft where they were separated, and he was escorted to a room by three of the entities and told to lie on a small rectangular exam table. Now, Barney's narrative of the exam was fragmented, and he, con- he said that he continued to keep his eyes closed for most of the exam. A cup-like device was placed over his genitals, and he says that he did not experience an orgasm, but he did believe that a sperm sample had been taken. Uh, now, this is where I believe the ring of warts comes into play. Perhaps this cup was just dirty. These aliens are using it over and over, um, and he's getting some genital warts. Is that can that even happen, or is that like the old wives' tale of like getting crabs from a toilet seat?
2: I've never been abducted by aliens, so I couldn't tell you that one.
1: No, but I'm saying like you can get like genital warts from uh, like a uh, a toilet seat, essentially, or like something else that somebody touched.
2: I mean, I guess if it's touching someone's dick and then it's touching yours, exchange okay. of bodily fluids.
1: All right. Well, there you go. And I mean, if this but, thing is covered in sperm, <laughs> Jesus.
2: <laughs> you don't think they're sterilizing this shit? They got all this technology. They're not sterilizing Well, okay. Their See, shit.
1: that's, that's, we can get into that later. I'm just saying that a ally- that has to be what the ring of warts is from, right? If they put a cup over his dick and suck out sperm. <laughs> Maybe. All right. Now, now, the men also scraped his skin and peered into his ears and mouth, and a tube or cylinder was inserted into his anus and quickly removed. Now, one of the beings felt his spine and seemed to be counting his vertebrae.
2: Well, didn't you say he examined his genitals soon after? And uh, he it felt w-
1: compelled to examine them, but he, yeah, he didn't notice anything, and that was like the day, the day after. Mm. So maybe it took some time for the warts to develop these weird... And maybe this was like an alien STI, dude.
2: Disgusting.
1: <laughs> now, now, Barney said that he heard them speak in a mumbling language that he did not understand. Uh, the few times they could... Communi- he was
2: abducted by Future. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. So they're just mumble rappers. <laughs> it's Chief Keef and Future out here. Um, now, <laughs> Barney said... That it seemed to be, uh, when they communicated with him, it seemed to be what he called thought transference. Now, at the time, he was unfamiliar with the word telepathy, but that would be essentially what this was. Now, both Betty and Barney stated that they hadn't observed the being's mouths moving when they communicated in English with them. Uh, He recalled being escorted from the ship and taken to his car. In a daze, he watched the ship leave. Barney remembered a light appearing on the road, and he said, quote, Oh, no, not again. Now, he also stated that he had attempted to produce the code-like buzzing sound, uh, which seemed to strike the car's trunk uh, by driving his car erratically, stopping, starting, but he he was not able to recreate this sound. Uh, so what do we think about Barney here like what do we think about his regression his hypnosis anything stand out to you I mean what do we got here I mean definitely
2: seems like uh, whatever happened to him is definitely fucking up his psyche
1: okay agreed yeah whatever happened to him well clearly he was examined and had sperm sucked out of him and shit put up his ass a tube a tube or a cylinder or an alien. Briefly, thing. though. <laughs> yeah, briefly. Huh. Um Okay. And I guess, Billy, to answer your question, these would not appear to be sexual aliens because they didn't even hit give him the pleasure of an orgasm. They just fucking extracted it right out of him. Um,
3: He's just like, oh, I think you're taking my sperm. <laughs> yeah,
1: which like, that's also you- weird. Right. How, How did you, he like, know? Know that if he
3: didn't. Yeah.
1: Okay. Maybe, maybe, uh... maybe it's
3: weird alien tech pulling sperm out of you without ejaculation. Yeah.
1: But yet they can't sanitize the cop like Rob was saying. Yeah. It's like, really? <laughs> maybe they ran out of alien dental dams to put over
3: it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yes. That is, that is the answer.
1: Um, now let's, now let's get into Betty. Um, so, so Betty's hypno. now with Betty's hypnosis, let's, let's pop back in time just a little bit to kind of set this one up because so they have the encounter. Now, as we said, around 10 days after the encounter, uh, Betty started to have a series of extremely vivid dreams, which went on for five nights. Uh, now she experienced these dreams with a striking amount of detail and intensity that had never happened to her before. And after the fifth night, they stopped and never, she never had these dreams again. They they were not recurring dreams. Um, but there was something so powerful about these dreams that she would even find herself thinking about them during the day. Now, have you guys ever had a dream like this? Just an extremely vivid dream that you kind of think about throughout the day?
3: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've had some crazy intense dreams, like just, just absolutely insane.
1: And see, this is not even, I don't even think this is that crazy because like, again, we talk about like dreams a lot and like what, you know how we don't fully understand what dreams are, but a lot of people, um, like some scientists think that dreams are essentially your brain converting short term memory into long term memory, which is why you get like random bursts of like things that happened in the day, you know?
3: Yeah, or, like, memories. Right. Whether like, a lot of them are repressed memories.
1: Yeah, so there um, you go. That could point to this being, like, a legitimate thing, right?
3: It could, but it could also have stemmed from just a crazy dream. Okay. And then, you know, they start actually believing it for some reason. Maybe, psych- you know, psychologically. Who knows? But
1: Now, November of 1961, Betty figures, you know... I got to write these fucking dreams down. This is good stuff, you know. (laughs) I got to write this down now. Now, in the dream, she and Barney encountered a roadblock and a group of men surrounding their car. Uh, She lost consciousness and struggled to regain it. When she realized, um, like, when she regained consciousness, she realized that she was being forced by two small men to walk into the forest. Uh, She also noticed that Barney was walking behind her she called out to him, but he seemed to be in a trance or sleepwalking. Um, so the description from her dream, she says that the men stood about five feet tall, wore matching blue uniforms with caps similar to those worn by military cadets. They appeared nearly human, with black hair, dark eyes, prominent noses, and bluish lips, and their skin was a grayish color. Short kings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, in the dreams, uh, Betty and Barney and the men walk up a ramp and into the disc-shaped craft of metallic appearance. Now, once inside, Barney and Betty were separated. Now, she did not want to be separated from Barney, but was told by the man she called the leader that if she and Barney were examined together, it would take much longer to conduct the exams. So she and Barney were taken to separate rooms. Now, Betty then dreamt that a new man similar to the others, entered to conduct her exam with the leader. Betty called this man the examiner, and she said he had been pleasant and calm-mannered. Now, the leader and the examiner both spoke to her in English, although she said the examiner's English seemed to be imperfect or broken, uh, and she had uh, difficulty understanding him. Now, the examiner told Betty that he would conduct a few tests to note the differences between humans and the craft's occupants. He seated her on a chair and shined a bright light on her. He cut off a lock of Betty's hair, examined her eyes, ears, mouth, and teeth, throat, and hands, and he shaved trimmings from her fingernails. He examined her legs and feet and afterward used a dull knife similar to a letter opener to scrape off some of her skin onto what resembled cellophane. Now, he then tested her nervous system, and he thrust a long needle into her navel, which caused Betty to cry out in pain. Now, when the leader simply waved his hand in front of her eyes, the pain vanished. Now, the examiner left the room, and Betty started chatting it up with the leader. Uh, She picked up a small plastic book with rows of strange symbols that the leader said she could take home with her. Um, She asked where he came from, and he pulled down an instructional map dotted with stars. Uh, Now, here is that part in her hypnosis session.
0: So, I asked him where he, what where was his home port? And he said, where's the, where are you on this map? And I looked and I laughed and I said, I don't know. So he said, well then, if you don't know where you are, there wouldn't be any point of my telling you where I am. And he put the map, He the, he, the map rolled up and he put it back in the space in the wall and closed it. And I felt, very stupid because i didn't know where the earth was on the map
1: um so you know basically treating her like an idiot yeah now in betty's dream account the men began escorting the hills from the ship when a disagreement broke out the leader then informed betty that she couldn't keep the book stating that they had decided that the other men did not want her to remember the encounter Now, Betty insisted that no matter what they did to her memory, she would one day recall the events. Now, she and Barney were taken to their car where the leader suggested that they wait to watch the craft's departure. They did this and then resumed their drive home. So, under hypnosis, Betty's account was Pretty much the same as that is extremely similar to her five dreams about the UFO abduction. There were some notable differences like mainly pertaining to her capture and release. The technology on the craft was a little bit different. Um, and the, the descriptions of the men were slightly different in physical appearance and this, the sequence or the order of the abduction differed slightly. Um, now under hypnosis, similar to Barney, Betty displayed significant emotional distress when recounting her capture and exam. Uh, Dr. Simon even ended one of the sessions early because tears were flowing down her face. Uh, Simon gave Betty. Now, this is interesting about the map, the whole star map thing. So here is a picture of the map that she drew from her recollection. Now, Dr. Simon gave Betty the post-hypnotic suggestion that she could sketch a copy of the star map. And that she later described it as a three dimensional projection similar to a hologram. And through the map, she saw. um, Now, she said the map had a bunch of different stars, and she drew only the ones that stood out in her memory. Um, And her map consisted of 12 prominent points, uh, or 12 prominent stars that were connected by lines, and three smaller ones that formed a distinctive triangle. Now, she said that she was told the stars connected by solid lines form trade routes, whereas dash lines were like less traveled stars or expeditions. Um, So Barney and Betty's memories in hypnotic regression were extremely consistent with one another, even though he's he's conducting these sessions separately. The series of events extremely similar now. Simon's take, Dr. Simon, after all the sessions are done. Dr. B.S. Yeah, Dr. B.S. He speculated that Barney's recollection of the UFO counter was possibly a fantasy inspired by Betty's dreams. Now, he thought it was the most reasonable and consistent explanation. Now, this is similar to Rob's favorite skeptic, uh, Mr. Carl (laughs) Sagan. Uh, now his belief was that whatever Barney and Betty went through was a folie à deux. Uh, is that how you say that, French?
3: No idea. Probably
1: <laughs> folie à deux. Uh, this is a condition in which symptoms of a mental disorder, uh, such as the same delusional beliefs or ideas, occur simultaneously in two individuals who share a close relationship. Um, or it could be a rare syndrome in which a symptom of psychosis, particularly a paranoid or delusional belief is transmitted from one person to another. Now, Barney, he rejected this idea. He said, you know, while their memories were consistent in some regards, there was also portions of both of their narratives that were unique to each other. Um, so Barney is now, after these sessions, he's fully convinced that they had been abducted by extraterrestrials or occupants of whatever this UFO was. Um, but he never, like, I guess, really embraced it as full as Betty did, as we'll see. Um, now, though the Hills and Simon disagreed about the cause of their distress, they all concurred that the hypnosis sessions were effective and that the hills were no longer tormented by abduction anxiety, we'll say. Um, so what are we thinking here? What are we thinking about like just the hypnosis sessions, the whole sighting? Like we got anything, any any new thoughts or anything? What are we thinking?
3: I think the aliens were actually pretty nice. You know, like okay, I'm should... sure it'd be terrifying in the moment, but I mean they they stuck something up that dude's ass, Barney's ass. <laughs> you know it was brief though though. it was brief and um they like scraped some skin off and like offered a book to him you know yeah and from what they're like oh never mind you can't have the book like fuck off from what i I can tell
1: though um barney's seemed to be like way more terrified than betty like in some of betty's hypnosis sessions she's like fucking laughing at it and she said that the aliens were, like, in, like, they're making fun of her because she doesn't know, like, where she is on this star map. But then they had no idea. Like, they removed Barney's dentures and were, like, what the fuck is this? And, they, and Betty was, like, laughing because she was, like, they tried to take her teeth out. But she was, like, he has dentures. And she had to, like, explain to them what dentures was. And she's, like, laughing and joking with this leader alien.
3: Yeah, like...
1: I, I- yeah, but... <clears throat>
2: I feel like her recollection is a lot nicer because they were like having this back and forth banter with her. Whereas Barney's is like, he's scared as fuck grabbing his gun about to shoot these guys. And then they like throw him on an exam table and are shoving shit up his ass.
1: Well, they shoved a needle in Betty's fucking navel.
2: Yeah, but then the guy did some fucking Sith mind trick on her, made it go away.
1: And the guy also pressed his eyes into Barney's eyes.
2: Yeah, that's fucking scary as a <laughs> dude. You're basically just getting fucking yeah. emasculated by these fucking little little guys.
1: Okay. Now, see, that is an They're interesting thing. shoving take. shit up your ass. Well, quickly, as
2: Billy said, it was quick, in and out. Oh, do you want to be put on an exam table <laughs> and have some little aliens shoving things up your ass?
1: Well, if they did, I'd want it to or be quick. Or would you quick. rather and
2: be like, yo, check out this fucking star map, bro? Look at this.
1: <laughs> oh, you want a book? Well, maybe if Barney had asked him <laughs> some fucking book. questions, he should have said, hey, what's this cup? And how does this work? The guy is fucking terrified. He's in there ejaculating soft. He's giving him a soft ejac. <laughs> not, <by, laughs> oh <my. laughs>
3: <laughs> not by choice.
1: All right. All but right. honestly,
3: l- let's be real, though. Like, it would, it would be a terrifying experience if that really happened. If that happened to me... It would be scary. But objectively, the aliens just did some quick tests and just let them be on their merry way.
1: Yeah, it could have been like the aliens we saw in the um, Skinwalker Ranch where they like cored out the dude's asshole and just like threw him in the <laughs> fucking field, you know? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Um, yeah. Or it like,
3: could be a lot worse is kind of my point.
1: So, So we're saying these aliens... They're the good guys. Not saying that.
3: I mean, they're not necessarily bad guys. They're just studying. Like, what do, What do we as a human species do to, you know, animal testing and stuff?
1: Okay, that's true, you know, and... Or other humans. You know? Yeah, and these guys yeah. aren't... We know one thing. They're not Chinese. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
3: They're Cory.
1: <laughs> uh, now, let's get into the publicity. So... The Hills go back to their regular lives. Uh, you know, they were willing to kind of discuss their alleged encounter with friends and family and the occasional UFO researcher. Uh, but the Hills apparently made no effort to seek publicity. And I got to th- I got to say this is kind of on them. You know, you can't. Like, what did we see earlier? They're talking to these fucking focus groups, these study groups in their church. They're blabbing to these, like, Air Force guys. You can't really be telling everybody but just kind of expecting this to remain private, you know?
2: I guess, but they're also not, you know, going the other route where they're, like, going on nationwide tours, talking about it, selling books, selling T-shirts, taking, like, pictures of it, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, that's true, but like we saw they talked to the UFO thing in in Quincy, Massachusetts, the UFO group, that was over 200 people there.
2: Well, yeah, but I feel like also like you said, uh this was more of uh trusting time. Well, Betty had more recollection and like uh consistent story with her dreams, that, whereas like Barney was just like, dude, I don't even really want to fucking talk about this. So, okay. Yeah.
1: And that was before all those events were before they went through the, um, hypnosis. So they kind of really didn't even know the full story. They just had the sighting that they were telling about. Right. Yeah. Okay. Now, in now in 1965, the Hill story was picked up by a Boston newspaper. Now this is when everything changed. So on October 25th, 1965, uh, the first of five articles appeared on the front page story of the Boston Traveler newspaper with the headline in big, bold letters reading, quote, UFO chiller, did they seize couple? <laughs> so the reporter who investigated the case and wrote the article was none other than John H. Luttrell. Now, remember earlier he was at the UFO mm. group where they told the people now, now he did some old school investigative journalism to break this story and i feel like his character is always thrown under the bus in this whole saga like the hills their family they basically say this guy was unethical he went behind their backs against their wishes to break this story but like we said if you look at the timeline that really isn't the case um as we said by this time, the Hills had to be pretty ignorant in thinking that this would just remain some secret. You know, you have this incredible story. They've told family, neighbors, friends. They've had group discussion. They filed reports with the Air Force and NICAP. They've even talked to that UFO discussion group. Um, now, as we said, they did all this before getting the whole story for themselves in the hypno sessions. Um, but, you know, you. How could they expect that this story would just not be picked up by someone? You know,
3: I think that's a little ignorant to think that, you know, if you're telling, you know, talking to 200 people and telling your neighbors and, you know, all this and that, like people are going to say, yeah, I won't say anything, but people talk.
1: I know. Like, God knows who they told. Now, now, as we said, at the meeting in Quincy, Massachusetts, none other than John Luttrell was in attendance, Allegedly. And he researched the case for damn near two years in order to get everything right before going to print. Now, Luttrell never gave away his sources, but he made it clear that The Traveler had been given an audio-taped recording of the lecture The Hills made in the Quincy Center in late 63. Now, some speculate that he himself probably took this recording. Like, it's not, I guess on record that he was at the event, but a lot of people say that he was there in attendance. Now, Luttrell also learned that the Hills had undergone hypnosis with Dr. Simon. He also obtained notes from confidential interviews the Hills had given to UFO investigators. And now this is where the whole ethical question comes into play, but that's not really on Luttrell here. You know, in my opinion, that's on the people who gave him this confidential information. So whether it be the Air Force NICAP, or someone in Dr. Simon's office or camp, I'd say that's on them. That's who the Hill should be angry with. Um, You know, they even tried to sue Luttrell to stop the story from coming out. But um, really, like they were advised that there wasn't anything they could do. Freedom of the press, baby. Uh, now they could take legal action once the story dropped if there was elements that were untrue. That's slander, libel, you know. Um, now also, Latrell went to the Hills numerous times to try to get their side of the story, and every time they declined the interview. So I don't know if it's Latrell that the Hills should be so angry with, right? I mean, are we are we aligned there? Are you guys seeing this differently?
3: I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing it. I'm actually kind of seeing it the same. I mean,
1: cause I mean, if he's going to these people saying, Hey, do you have this report? And if those people told the Hills, Hey, we'll keep this confidential, but gave it to the reporter. That's not on the reporter, you know?
3: Yeah. Well, also I do find it interesting that they're not really out. I mean, from what it sounds like they weren't really out for publicity or, money because you know a lot of these like ufo people let's you know
1: they would jump at that chance
3: like and whitley streber for example you know he if i recall he was like writing all these books and like having well, yeah, up he, all these crazy he himself scenarios. was a writer exactly but my point is like he profited off that yeah, right right like well, the fact that they're kind of that that's, it's something that they don't want is interesting in terms of pushing the pendulum towards like, Oh, maybe it actually did happen to them. Okay. Potentially.
1: And it could be like, so what I was thinking was, as we said, they're talking to all these people, they're doing that UFO group thing. And like Rob said, Betty's way more into it than Barney. And then maybe they went to the hypnosis sessions and, Barney's probably like, dude, I don't want this getting out at all. You know, like we got to just shut up about this now. But by that time, as we see, it's already too late. The fucking monkey's out of the bottle. Right. Um, Yeah.
3: Interesting, though.
1: Yeah. Now, on October 26, United Press International picked up Latrell's story and the Hills had earned international attention. Now, this is where his reporting gets interesting. As we said, this guy spent a ton of time on this case. He tracked down everyone, everyone he could, including additional eyewitnesses who saw a strange object in the sky during the same time the Hills were having their encounter. Now, in his original article, um, there is a quote that reads the object encountered by the Hills also was seen by half a dozen other New Hampshire residents. Now, Luttrell himself was questioned about this and is later quoted as saying, I can recall interviewing between 12 and 14 different people from different communities surrounding Franconia, Notch, New Hampshire, none of whom knew one another, but all of whom remembered experiencing the same sighting at the same time the hills did in the same location. This was basically established by drawing comparable lines of sightings on an area map and all intersected at precisely the same location reported by Mr. and Mrs. Hill.
2: Was this guy just going door to door asking people if they saw shit? Yeah,
1: for this guy was, as I said, he was doing like bare bones in the trenches journalism. He was tracking down everybody he could. Like I said, he got the tapes maybe unethically from Dr. Simon. He tracked down the NICAP report, and yeah, he was interviewing... Went around, interviewed 12 to 14 different people, he says, all about this sighting. Now, Littrell, this is where it's interesting because Latrell's editors apparently did not want to take time and space in the article away from the main story about the abduction of Betty and Barney. And thus, those witnesses were not named or quoted and did not become a major part of the story. And you have to think, this story was, like we said, it was one of the first of its kind Nobody knew how popular this would become. Um, And so the main focus was on Betty and Barney. Little did Latrell's stupid, idiot editors know (laughs) that these other witnesses probably could have played a massive role in corroborating the entire story. Um, Now, what are we thinking on these other witnesses? I mean, this is huge. He's asking these people in Franconia Notch, all of which have said, like, yeah, we saw this weird fucking object i mean that's pretty fucking damning uh evidence right seems legit okay so we're just buying it now we're saying this is this is adding a little more legitimacy to the claims starting to add up a little bit more okay
3: yeah I, i mean if that's true like he drew a map of people saying that they that they saw the you know this weird anomaly and they all it it all traced back to the same location that Betty and Barney Hill described, correct? Right. Yeah, I mean if that's true, that's that's definitely strange. But I mean it's just kind of sus that like it didn't make it into the you know
1: Well, like I said, it's not like it was withheld on purpose or anything. The editors were just like, Hey, we don't want to take away from this story. They didn't know how big this thing would become. You know, oh, true. it's the same as like with remember, we we're talking about the compass and the spots on their car. Like they never took a photograph of that or anything because they were just like, oh, this weird thing happened to us. They hadn't gone through hypnosis. They didn't know that they had been abducted. They didn't know like any of this shit. So it's like things that are seemingly could be big, like evidence factors in this case were just kind of not even thought of until after the fact.
3: Right, and that makes total sense. But yeah, I mean that that's that's weird.
1: Okay, now in now in 1966, a year after uh the Latrell story in the Boston newspaper, writer John G Fuller secured the cooperation of the Hills and Dr. Simon and wrote the book The Interrupted Journey. Uh now Fuller basically He basically hit up the Hills with the idea for a book about their experience, and he even came to them with contracts drawn up. Now, eventually, after some back and forth negotiations, he put together a deal for the Hills, Dr. Simon and himself to split the profits of the book. Now, the book also included a copy of Betty's sketch of the star map. Uh, The book came out in late 1966. Excerpts of the book were published in Look Magazine. And the book went on to sell over 300,000 copies, um, hit the top of the New York Times bestseller list, making it an automatic sensation and helping to blast the Hills account into the mainstream. This story that the Hills wanted to kind of naively keep under wraps was now the subject of a bestselling book And eventually made into a television movie, as we said, starring James Earl Jones, premiering on NBC on October 20th, 1975. The Hills, whether they liked it or not, were now celebrity abductees. And the rest, they say, that's history. Uh, Now, poor one out here. Barney actually died of a cerebral hemorrhage on February 25th, 1969, at the age of 46. Um, So he didn't even get to see himself played by the great James Earl in the film. That's sad. Yeah. And I mean, whatever happened to them really kind of broke both of them, but it completely shattered Barney. I mean, as we said, he developed debilitating health issues. He started drinking heavily. um, And he was just in a steady decline of health up until his death. This had a massive physical toll on Barney. Um, Now, Betty, I'd say she was more mentally broken by this incident um, because, you know, A, she had to watch Barney slowly die uh, and then B, She went on to become, like, somewhat of a celebrity in the UFO community. Uh, She dedicated the rest of her life to UFOs. Uh, She really became somewhat of an unreliable narrator, though, we'll say, because, you know, she claimed to be, just like we saw with Whitley Stryber, she claimed to be in constant contact with extraterrestrials, and she was seeing UFOs pretty much everywhere throughout the rest of her life. So... This whole thing kind of shattered her worldview. Uh, Now, she eventually died of cancer on October 17th, 2004, at the age of 85, having never remarried.
3: R.I.P. The fact that she saw UFOs everywhere after that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know.
1: Like I said, I think it just kind of mentally shattered her. And we'll get into that a, a bit later. But I mean, yeah. R.I.P. to both of them. Now, do we want to get into some theories, some hard evidence, some possible explanations as to what's going on here? Let's do it. Let's start with the star map. Now, obviously, this seems to be the uh, smoke gun in the whole case. You know, the smoke gun, the smoking gun. This is the smoking gun in this whole case. Now, as we said, aboard the craft, Betty asks, where the fuck are you from? And allegedly this leader. <laughs> where the fuck are you guys this, from? This leader pulls out this 3D star map. There's all these different planets, stars. Some are connected uh, with dotted lines, solid lines. Um, now, as we said, he said the solid lines are trade routes. The dotted lines are occasional expeditions that are made. So these are, are these like the Lewis and Clark of aliens? What's the dick on the map? The
3: dick. Oh, snap.
1: Yeah, those are trade routes. That's not. Where do you see a dick?
3: right there
0: dude actually no i know how does this
3: look like a dick it's a shaft with a tip (laughs) there's no
1: balls i said you could all right okay so um yeah those are apparently trade routes and these are different planets going back and forth
2: um now trading up and down the shaft
1: now as we said this uh this case became hugely popular. The star map was published in the 1966 book. Now, in 1968, Majory Fish of Oak Harbor, Ohio, uh, she read The Interrupted Journey. And she was an elementary school teacher at the time, as well as an amateur astronomer. Uh, now, she is extremely interested in the star map. So she's thinking, has anybody tried to decipher this thing? Uh, you know? determine which star system these extraterrestrials came from. Now, she assumes that one of the 15 stars on the map must represent Earth's sun. So she constructs a three-dimensional model of nearby sun-like stars. So she kind of goes through these catalogs of stars, and she picks out stars that are, you know, estimated to have planets in a Goldilocks zone, support life, all that good shit. And she kind of filters those down. So using thread and beads, she bases these like stellar distances on those published in the 1969 Gleece Star Catalog. However you say that. Now she set up (laughs) models uh, with strings and beads and she she recreated this map like a 3D version and looked at it from uh, thousands of vantage points. And over several years after a while, she finally stumbled on one that seemed to match the hill map. Now, this was from the viewpoint of the double star system Zeta Reticuli. So, there is the map she recreated using these measurements, and there's Betty's map. Um, So, take a look at those, and I'll put these on the Instagram. Um, Now, Zeta Reticuli, about 39 light years from Earth. And to add even more intrigue, Zeta Reticuli 1 and 2, which are these main stars in the dick that you're seeing, Rob. (laughs) um they are estimated to be about a billion years older than our son
3: well zeta reticuli what that that uh actually lines up with our bob lazar episode
1: well yeah (laughs) or they were throwing that in there as disinformation to bob but you know leaving bob out of this i mean that's pretty incredible right a billion years so they would have Obviously, had if some sort of civilization was there, they'd be billions of years more advanced than us.
3: Um, now, and they still pull down the the map from <laughs> on a chalkboard.
1: Yeah, yeah. But also, maybe that's just how Betty described it. Maybe she couldn't comprehend what this three D map hologram is because this is the sixties. You know, they don't have that kind of technology.
3: Yeah, who knows? Maybe he could have just, like, cast it with his hand and, like, pulled it. Yeah, down, yeah, know? and
1: and we'll get into that a little more later, but it is intriguing. Now, now, Fish uh, sent her analysis to Walter Webb, the Boston astronomer and NICAP member, and he agreed with her conclusions. Now, Webb sent the map to Terrence Dickinson, editor of the magazine Astronomy, and Dickinson wasn't buying it. Uh, but for the first time in the magazine's history, Astronomy invited comments and debate on a UFO incident, um, starting with an opening article in the December 1974 issue. Um, now, for about... So, what are we thinking about this? I mean, is that intriguing or are we just thinking, nah, this is fucking... this is ch- This is pure chance.
2: I mean... With this lady was messing around with it for that much time, obviously there's maybe something to it. I don't. I'm, uh, you know, uh, amateur astronomer myself, so I can't really dive too hard on it. You're an amateur astronomer. Could con- I could be considered that? Yes. <laughs> okay.
1: And what? And what is the <laughs> So you could recreate. Yo, yeah, I'm this. just
2: saying. Have you taught astronomy merit badge? Because I have. Oh, okay. So we're two doing summers, back baby. The merit badge, right? Oh,
3: that that's credential. That's amateur level. All
2: right. That's t- tell us level. a little.
1: Some, tell us a little bit of uh, astronomy.
2: Well, that's what I'm saying. Is I don't know anything about Zeta Reticuli, so I don't really. I can't really comment on the hmm. the. Um, Not a very reality good astronomer.
1: Doesn't even know about Zeta Reticuli. So if I put a couple beads
2: (laughs) and hang them from my ceiling, I'm automatically published in Astronomy Magazine? Hey, I mean, if
1: you go through thousands of vantage points and find this matchup. Well, that's
2: what I'm saying is this lady actually cared to do that. Okay, all right. I I don't know how legit that is, but she obviously spent a hell of a lot of time researching it, so...
1: All right. Now, for about a year afterward, the opinions page of astronomy carried arguments for and against this star map. Uh, Now, notable was an argument made by (laughs) Rob's favorite, Mr. Carl Sagan, and Steven Soder. Uh, They argued that the star map was little more than a random alignment of chance points. Uh, In an episode of Cosmos 1980, Sagan demonstrated that without the lines drawn in the maps, the hill map bore no resemblance to the real life map uh now again i was kind of thinking about this and it's like well yeah carl you can say that but the fact is her map did have the lines you know and this does resemble the map um and again you got to think she's drawing this from pure memory so obviously those distance aren't Those distances aren't down to the like, you know, they're not down to the t. This isn't a fine science. It's just Betty doodling this fucking map, (laughs) Uh, and Carl's just like, this is is a pure chance. Real,
3: Uh, yeah. Now, it could have been chance, though. It could have. I mean, okay. Well, here we go. You line up a bunch of line dots. And you go through like a million different star constellations because you have, she obviously had the time to do that or she was passionate about it, which is cool. But, you know, eventually you might find one that loosely lines up.
1: Right, right. It's like, yeah. And even if, think about if she didn't weed out all those planets, she probably would have found more that lined it up, lined exactly. up. Exactly. But in contrast, those favorable to the map, such favorable to the map, such as David Saunders, a statistician who had been on the Condon UFO study, disagreed. Now he claimed that a match among sixteen stars of a specific spectral type among the thousands of stars nearest to our sun is at least a thousand to one chance.
3: Oh, okay. Well he just shut me down.
1: Um now Still a pretty good chance. Yeah. Now, this is where things get interesting. So, in early 1990s, the European satellite Hippocrose, Hippocrose, uh, which is a high-precision parallax collecting satellite, uh, measured the distances to more than 100,000 stars around the sun more accurately than ever before. And it showed that some of the stars in Fish's interpretation of the map were, in fact, much further away than previously thought. Now, other research revealed that some stars counted by Fish as likely to host life would have had to be excluded by her own criteria, while some other stars which had been discounted by Fish as having been recognized as potential planets to harbor life um, shouldn't have been discounted. Now, this rendered Fish's interpretation of Betty's map completely incorrect. Uh, which Fish herself acknowledged and withdrew her conclusions in a public statement. So essentially here, if you want to cite astronomy to give credibility to the map, then when better astronomy comes out and refutes it, you kind of have to accept that too, or you're just lying to yourself. Um, Now, what are we thinking about this star map? Because I will say for myself, like, Whenever I had heard like an overview of this story and never really dove into it, this was always a very intriguing part. And this is a lot of people point to this as proof. They're saying there's no way Betty could have known about this because Zeta Reticuli 1 and 2, they weren't known until the 90s. So this is solid fucking proof that this was an extraterrestrial thing. But then when you really kind of look into the discounting and the discrediting of the map and the more accurate measurements... You kind of got to say, okay, but then it's like you were saying, Bill, maybe if we went, if we did Rob, maybe you do this as an amateur astronomer yourself, you kind of go through this thing. We set up some ping pong balls and some string, maybe with these more accurate measurements, we could find a legitimate match Mm. on this map.
2: Well, I mean, like you're saying, it's (sighs) this one lady is an amateur astronomer. That's a fucking school teacher and Betty is drawing it strictly from memory so like on a piece of paper no ruler or anything neither one is it going to be exact and then so to like completely disregard it because oh you know 30 years later we did measurements with a fucking satellite like yeah obviously those are going to be better measurements with better technology so it's It's kind of like comparing apples to oranges
1: at that point, in my opinion. But so are you saying the map could, in fact, be aligned to something or it's just a total Fugazi? I mean,
2: I I still find it kind of hard to believe the story without like concrete evidence. But the fact that that wasn't even like a widely known thing in the astronomy community until like you said the 80s or 90s it's technology that was not known to us until like decades later like yeah obviously things aren't going to be precise she's not she didn't like bring it with her and she's like oh look at this star map they have like that would be different if she actually had and then that's a whole nother thing that I was saying is like she doesn't She has this thing that she saw from her memory, but there's no, like, there's not any photographic evidence, there's not any, like, she didn't actually get to take the notebook with her, so it's, like, at this point, it's just, like, based on word of mouth, which obviously they're they're having trouble rec- recounting the story themselves, you know.
1: So really you're saying it's like the map that she drew by hand isn't even worth like I mean, I think trying it, to figure out because it's not precise. It's just like if I ha- if I tried to hand draw our solar system and showed it to an alien race of like, hey, find this in the galaxy. They'd be like, what the fuck is this, you know? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like it kind of really isn't even worth analyzing. You know, I guess so. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, what what are you thinking?
3: It it is a little wild how it lined up with the Zeta Reticuli star system. I mean, it's a little strange, but at the same time, this is an amateur astronomer who's a school teacher, like Rob said, and it's like. She probably just spent so much time, like, trying to, like, line it up with beads and string or whatever the case was. So who's to say that, like, it just could have been a chance thing?
1: Yeah. And furthermore, like, if you look at her map. So this was this is my biggest question with the map. So the teacher makes these assumptions. Like, she says that this is this little dot out here up in the top right corner is our sun. And like, this is Ada Reticuli 1 and 2. They're like some of our closest neighbor stars. But why is she assuming that that's our sun? The aliens never told Betty that. And why the fuck would that be a trade route? Are we trading with these aliens unless we really are? Like, did Eisenhower really sign a treaty with the Greys? like we talked about on one of our episodes where they are abducting our people all the time. And maybe this is a possible trade route for these greys. So maybe you could go down that rabbit hole, but also I don't even think like, why would she just make the assumption that that's our sun? This could be a totally different star. And maybe this is some other fucking um, galaxy out there that we don't even
3: fucking know about. Well, did they, could they prove that that's our star? Like from a astronomical perspective, Perspective In terms of, you know, so the same planets and stars sit in the same formation regards to constellations.
1: Yeah, but she just made that assumption like she was like, okay, one of these has to be our star. Let me let me just think it's this one and then kind of based her measurements off of that. My question is: yeah. Why would she even do that? Nobody said that that's our star, or nobody even said that we were on the fucking map. The alien was like, "Why the fuck would I tell you? You don't even know where you are on the map."
3: Yeah, good point. I don't know, <laughs> you
1: know, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe he was like, "This dumb bitch thinks she's on this fucking map." Um, you <laughs> I'm know? not
3: answering you because you're too dumb, peon. Get out of my spaceship.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. Now I was now again. I was thinking. So this picture here is like. In like Prometheus or these like modern sci-fi movies, you know how the maps are always like a 3D rendering on this table and they're like, yeah, let's let's calculate that like in interstellar. They're kind of going through the calculations of these planets. I would kind of have something like that in my mind of what this was like. Now, I stumble across this article by Nick Redfern, um, who we've we've gotten into some of his work before. uh, Pretty out there. He did the whole book on the Loch Ness Monster being a spiritual entity, that type of shit. Now, he wrote, like like you were saying, Billy, these are fucking aliens and they're busting out a fucking wall map. Like, Can you imagine um, in the Apollo space program if the astronauts were lost and were like, hey, where are we? Why don't we bust out the map?
3: You know, like that's not Yeah, especially if they're like a billion years of technology more advanced than us. Yeah,
1: you don't really... You're not using a fucking topographical map to find out where you are in interstellar space travel.
3: Hell no. <laughs> now,
1: now, again, though, I'm saying if this was a 3D map, that does kind of make sense. Um, now, furthermore, Mr. Redfern, he believes that evidence suggests that the hills were subjects... Nay, victims of a psychological experiment, some sort of U.S. Air Force intelligence MK Ultra type operation. And perhaps these hills were kind of abducted by entities of our own government, like some black ops MK Ultra type shit, which we know they were doing back in the 60s. And maybe they were given, maybe let's say they were dosed with LSD at the diner in Colebrook. They're traveling down the road, tripping balls. They pull off on the side, and these fucking um, military, paramilitary guys are doing all kinds of tests and experiments on them. I mean, what are we thinking? There is that a possible scenario?
2: Definitely seems plausible.
1: Okay, so you, so we're buying that.
3: Yeah, I mean i i would I would say so. It's proven <laughs> okay. MKUltra, Ultra, and yeah, I mean, like. uh we've talked about that a million times but
1: okay well
2: just one more before we move on though is all i was what i was getting at is like i think that it was pretty cool that that lady actually took the time to try and like map that shit out and kind of fucked up that these astronomers just immediately like discredit her because it's like dude did you guys take the time to try and like look more into that or are you just like, uh, oh, you know what? Fuck this. This lady doesn't know what she's talking about.
1: I, but I, I don't think it's like that. I mean, that's science, baby. They're just saying, hey, we've gotten way more accurate measurements and they discredit her own map. And she even uh, herself admitted like, oh yeah, that definitely just dis- discredits the map. I mean, she's probably like, well, fuck this. I'm not going to go through all that again to try to find the right one. Um, but it is cool that yeah, she did the did, groundwork. The I'm saying work.
2: did did any of these professional astronomers go to the lengths to try and figure it out, or were they just like, "Ah, oh, this is bullshit"?
1: Yeah, well, see, again, based I don't- on my <laughs> calculation, this is wrong. <laughs> <I don't> think- <laughs> I'm going
2: to keep on producing my magazine. Like, what the fuck did you guys do? Well, the
1: guy had an open debate. He said, "Hey, I'm not buying it. Let me have an open debate in here." And astronomers came on to kind of Neil deGrasse Her and say, well, actually... (laughs) Well, yeah, I know that's what I'm saying, but it's like, at
2: least she took the time out of her fucking day to try and, like, problem solve, whereas they're just like,
3: well, uh, based on the calculation of my...
2: When yeah, I say to the moon, uh, this says that it's approximately twenty-three light years away, and your map says
1: that it's thirty-five. You're wrong. <laughs> but that is you can't. No, just I'm, say, I'm. I'm saying. Oh, I, I took the time, so it's right. You no, know, that's uh, not. You don't get fucking brownie points just because I'm, she took the time to do it. That's not what I'm trying to say. Like Obviously. yes, shout out to um fish. She's a fucking OG. She's a a great oh, he, an- amateur astronomer. I'm just saying, an Amateur astronomer <laughs> took the time
2: <laughs> yeah. to try and figure out this like UFO abduction story. So, what then- you're saying
1: is, you would like to see a professional astronomer put in the legwork to really find out where this map really okay.
2: leads. So, right going all the way back to the beginning, obviously, Betty's map is going to be a bit fucked up because it's based on something that she's saying she saw in a dream or aboard an alien spaceship so it's not accurate but if they now have the technology know where these star systems are has anyone actually tried now to like see what that map might actually look like in relation to where we are in relation to where zeta reticuli is
1: well see i don't well like i said yeah that's that's all yeah, I'm saying. They did I'd like
2: it, to see what that map looks yeah, like they in did, comparison.
1: So they did that. They did... Um, I should have put a picture of it in here. It was in one of the articles I read. You see the Betty Hills map, <clears throat> the original fish map, and then you see the same fish map but with the new calculations and only maybe like three points line up. So it is a completely different map. But again, that's... Assuming that those two stars are Zeta Reticuli 1 and 2, I mean, that could be something else many, many light years away is what I'm saying. But again, I don't think, back to my original thing, is like like you're saying, Betty's map is fucking hand-drawn. Is it really even worth doing all the legwork for something well, I'm saying that's are
2: wildly if, inaccurate? Well, I'm saying if you now, like in 2023, we know where all these star systems are, I just wonder what that looks like in comparison.
1: Well, why don't you get on it, Mr. Amateur Astronomer? You could break the case. You could fucking put our (laughs) podcast on the map for being... You could be the new... I'm just going to have astronomy
2: magazine shoot me down.
1: No, 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 no. Not if you you fucking have your... Cross your T's and dot your I's. I guess. You really got to do the legwork here on this one, all right? We're counting on you to earn your astronomy merit badge uh now now let's get into some more so a lot there's a lot of skeptics out there when it comes to this one now jim mcdonald uh he is a resident of the white mountains area where the hills claim to have been abducted and he produced a detailed analysis of their journey which concludes that the whole episode was provoked by their misperceiving an aircraft warning beacon on Cannon Mountain as a UFO. McDonnell notes that from the road the Hills took, the beacon appears and disappears at exactly the same time the Hills described the UFO as appearing and disappearing. Now, he says that the remainder of the experience is due to stress, sleep deprivation, and false memories, which were recovered, in quotes, under hypnosis. Now, skeptical Inquirer columnist Robert Schaefer notes that in 1995, Betty Hill wrote a self-published book, A Common Sense Approach to UFOs. It is filled with delusional stories such as seeing entire squadrons of UFOs in flight and a truck levitating above the freeway. Schaefer later wrote that as late as 1977, Betty Hill would go on UFO vigils at least three times a week. One evening, she was joined by UFO enthusiast John Oswald. And when asked about Betty's continuing UFO observations, Oswald stated she is not really seeing UFOs, but she is calling them that. One night they went out together and Miss Hill was unable to distinguish between a landed UFO and a streetlight. So, okay, but again, this is what I'm saying where like. It just kind of shattered her mind. I mean, you got to think about, like, she's watched her husband die from this. This has consumed their life. She was kind of launched into a fame that she never wanted from this. She probably can't relate this story to anyone else. Like, so she's completely just going off the fucking wagon here, you know? Um, Now, Schaefer recounts that Betty Hill wrote, quote, UFOs are a new science. And our science cannot explain them. Now, I was thinking about this quote, and that statement kind of came true almost 20 years after her death. I mean, look at what they're saying about all these fucking UFOs, Tic Tac, Gimbal, all this shit they're shooting down over um, over Canada and and Alaska and the Great Lakes. They're sitting. Like, we went through the fucking UAP report, the Pentagon report, and they're saying, yeah, we don't know what the fuck this is. So, perhaps Betty was right. Perhaps UFOs are a new science, and our current science can't explain that. Makes you kind of wonder, right?
3: Yeah. Um, I'm, yeah, the the skeptic, I mean, like Jim, old McDonald, you know, Jim <laughs> McDonald. Right. Uh, he He's a resident. I mean, this is one guy's opinion so obviously take that with a grain of salt but it's all we got and this guy lives there um he knows the area and he's like yeah there's a light there's a beacon an aircraft military thing that looks a lot like a ufo and hey it lines up in the exact same timing as how they described it i don't know that's a little it's a little suspect to me and then you know Obviously, I mean, I agree that, like, Betty probably went through some type of mental breakdown for the rest of her life, for lack of a better term, because she, I mean, if it was MK Ultra, if it was Aliens, if it was just her being crazy, um, it definitely took a toll on her. Right. But I don't know. I think that's the it, the whole learning of the beacon light and all that stuff like what if they got spiked at the you know at the restaurant like you said earlier spiked. Ryan right spiked at like an MK Ultra thing and then they like you know, saw that light or something. They're like tripping out, you know, and then it turned into this whole thing.
1: Yeah, and this guy, old McDonald, what he left out was that occasionally that light will come down and it'll put a cup over your dick and balls and a- extract <laughs> semen out of it.
2: <laughs> Jesus Christ!
3: You know, uh, like I get your point, but still.
1: Uh, no, I mean, I'm just, I'm just playing devil's advocate there. I mean that. Yeah,
2: no, totally. Um,
1: but yeah, now, now.
2: If that was the military, though, what the hell are they doing, sucking jizz out of you?
1: Well, all right, let's let's keep going. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, who fucking. Oh uh, no. So there's also the outer limits. You guys familiar with the TV show? Yes, classic. Um, now, in the in his 1990 article, entirely unpredisposed. Martin Kottmeyer suggested that Barney's memories revealed under hypnosis might have been influenced by an episode of the sci-fi television show The Outer Limits titled The Bolero Shield, which was broadcast about two weeks before Barney's first hypnotic session. Now, again, I'm not sure how true this is because, as we said, they started hypnosis January 4th. This episode premiered on February 10th, 1964. Now, again, this could be like... I could not find... I found a good amount of the hypnosis sessions, which I'll post in the description, but they're taken out of order. Like Those are just kind of a compilation. Those aren't the full hypnotic sessions from January to June that we mentioned. Um, So maybe... This guy could be right in saying it was kind of broadcast before he described the alien. And and here's here's a picture of the alien in the Bolero shield and then uh, Barney's drawing of what he saw Um now, yeah, the amateur sketch artist, yeah, amateur sketch. Now, again, you know, kind of similar, although this like lip, his like upper lip, he didn't really describe like that. And this guy really doesn't look like an Irish Nazi, <laughs> now, <yeah. laughs> slanted eyes, though, <laughs> yeah, yeah, not like a Chinese, though. Um, now, this episode featured an extraterrestrial with large eyes who says, quote.
3: In all the universes, in all the unities beyond the universes, all who have eyes have eyes that speak.
1: Uh, now, Kottemeyer claimed that the report from the regression uh, featured a scenario that was, in some respects, similar to the television show. Now, again, I watched this episode thinking, OK, this is going to lay out like their abduction scenario, right? Yeah. Not the case. This episode (laughs) is completely different from what they describe. The episode is about this like Elon Musk type guy who's trying to get this tech company from his dad, and he creates this laser beam, and this alien rides a laser beam down and has this invisible force field, and the guy's wife tries to steal the force field from the alien. It's nothing like what (laughs) Betty and Barney described. Um, so again, maybe this guy's just playing full skeptic. Now he continues to write that wraparound eyes are an extreme rarity in science fiction films. Um, he says, I know of only one instance they appear on the, on the alien of an episode of the outer limits, the Bolero shield. Um, now, he says, could it be by chance? Consider that Barney's first described and drew the wraparound eyes during the hypnosis session dated the 22nd of February, 1964. And as we said, the Bolero Shield was first broadcast on the 10th of February, 1964. Only 12 days separate the two instances. Now, when Betty was asked about the Outer Limits, she insisted they had never heard of it. Uh, now, Cottermeyer also pointed out that some of the motifs in the Hills account Were present in the 1953 film Invaders from Mars. Now again, I watch Invaders from Mars. Not the same at all. This is about a UFO that a kid sees, it lands in his backyard and sinks into the sand, and they start implanting brain crystals into the town to like mind control them. This is nothing at all like what the hills describe. So, I feel like this guy is possibly just kind of poking the bear, as it were, right? Well, also, if you're having like terrible
2: anxiety and insomnia from an alien experience, you think this guy's going home watching The Outer Limits at night? <laughs> Probably yeah, right, not.
1: Right. Well, he's just hitting the bottle drunk, like watching The Outer Limits and then just relaying oh, that God into <laughs> him. I again. can't. The eyes. <laughs> it sounds
3: right. like the only thing he's going off of is like the look of the aliens like the wraparound eyes or whatever because he's like oh in sci-fi you never see that yeah um or whatever
1: yeah now again that was 95 that he wrote this article um but so like, now on to another theory now this one it's pretty interesting this is some good old-fashioned racism Um, Now, some believe that the Hill story was simply a myth in the making. you got supernatural meetings, vulnerable protagonists, and otherworldly journeys that are often the hallmarks of a good legend. Others would later suggest that the supposed abduction was a hallucination brought on by the stress of being an interracial couple in early 1960s America. Now, they were also living in a predominantly white state, in this turbulent time. Um, As we said, the year of hypnosis was 1964. This was marked by Cold War tensions, civil rights unrest, numerous urban riots erupting that summer. Um, So as we've already said, the Hills are a biracial couple at a time where that's not easy. And now, now this was interesting. One guy was writing, look at what the aliens they saw turned out to be. They were grays. Now what is gray? A mixture of black and white. Is there meaning behind this? Now the guy the guy that wrote this thinks there is some type of meaning behind this. I'm thinking if so, what the hell is it? Are they saying that grays are going to fucking poke and prod and and maybe we shouldn't mix races? <laughs> right? Is that the fucking uh is that the I, I, takeaway here?
3: I think that's one hell of a conclusion. I don't really see any... I mean, the only thing is maybe the gray being a mixture of black and white, but...
1: And it's just some sort of deep subconscious thing that's bubbling to the surface and manifesting as this abduction scenario?
3: Yeah, but I don't really buy that.
1: Yeah. I mean, even as we said, Betty strongly discounted the suggestion she said that her relationship with Barney was happy. Um, Their interracial marriage caused no notable problems with friends or family. Um, Also, this is noted in The Interrupted Journey. Uh, Dr. Simon thought that the Hill's marital status had nothing to do with the UFO encounter. Um, But again, this is a common explanation we see. And I'm thinking I would be surprised if this isn't the turn that the Obama documentary takes. I guarantee that that documentary is going to conclude with some type of pontification on like race relations in the U.S.
3: Probably, but I don't, I don't know to to go through like hallucinations of that type, and I yeah, mean, that maybe just doesn't well, really it,
2: makes sense.
1: Well, okay, but it like I was thinking. Like, we talk about all the time, like, people blocking, like, super traumatic events and creating, like, some type of false memory over top of it. Like, you know, we talk talk about this show on pretty much every episode. The one where the chick was getting raped by the, like, neighbor guy and he made it seem like an alien encounter. I was thinking perhaps, um, like, perhaps they were on this road. Maybe when they pulled off, maybe they saw that beacon thing and when they pulled off. Maybe there were some fucking, like, redneck racist hicks up there that could have, like, raped Betty or fucking shoved a broomstick up Barney's ass, like, beat him up, like, just done some fucked up racist shit. And they kind of block it out as this UFO encounter because that's easier to accept than what really happened to them. I mean, Billy, you talked about her dress being torn and shit. That would be, like, a hallmark of that, you
3: know? definitely possible I, I would say so okay because I, I
1: was thinking that because obviously something traumatic happened to them and maybe they did just block it out with this alien encounter now now NICAP and blue book let's get into their investigation so NICAP's scientific advisor cross-examined the couple and found their account credible However, the Air Force's Project Blue Book, which eventually wound up with the NICAP report, would ultimately dismiss the story, determining that the unexplained craft could be explained by natural causes. Essentially concluding that the couple hadn't seen a spacecraft, but only the planet Jupiter. Now, once again, I forgot sometimes when Jupiter is visible in the night sky, it comes down And sticks a probe up your ass. I forgot about that. That does happen sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Typical. Now, no, I mean, again, the blue book, I think, only got the sighting event because that was before their regression. So I think that's why they would kind of explain it as, hey, you're just misidentifying this planet. Yeah. Now, again, back to the psychiatrist, Dr. Simon, Um, you know, his two cents. He never felt that the Hills had made up their story. As we said, he concluded that Betty had had dreamed the abduction and Barney had essentially uh, absorbed her story, Um, especially since many of the most vivid details match descriptions of the dreams that Betty had jotted down after the event. Uh, Dr. Simon ultimately said, quote, I believe the I believe implicitly in the honesty of these people. Now known skeptic Rob's favorite Carl Sagan, uh, he even noted this as important because as we saw, Simon was cut in on the book deal, so obviously he could have said absolutely this is a one hundred percent grade a genuine abduction case, and the book would have sold many more copies with his kind of seal of approval, but he didn't do this. You know, he said, Hey, this is, I don't think like, you know, here's how I think it happened. He kind of absorbed it from the dreams. Um, So, I mean, what are we thinking there? I feel like that again plays into like you were saying, they didn't want to become famous. So that maybe swings the pendulum of like, they're not after money. Same with this doctor. He could have, as Carl Sagan said, he could have just said, like, hey, yeah, this is 100% made a fucking... made a million from the book and then peaced out, but he didn't do that, you know?
3: Yeah, that's... uh, It's interesting. I think that it sounds like he genuinely believed that they went through something super traumatic or at least thought that they went through something super traumatic and, you know, your mind can do... uh, Pretty crazy things, you know, com- com- completely change your world and perspective. So, but that doesn't mean that it actually happened. It just means that he believes that they went through a traumatic memory of some type. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And, you know, of course, there is the explanation that the abduction actually occurred. Uh, you know, the Hills stuck by their story despite years of skeptics and detractors. Um, like many abductees, the couple never felt false memory or sleep paralysis explained what they experienced. Um, now, as we said, Betty became a known voice in the in UFO research and claimed she was visited multiple times in the decades to follow. And like I said, I feel like this one just fucking absolutely fucked her up mentally. Uh, you know, and she, she was never able to like share this experience with anyone else. You can't really ever fully relay that to anyone else. That's definitely going to fuck anyone up. She just had to kind of deal with this on her own after Barney died. Um, and now, now one of the most interesting pieces I think is the dress, the powder analysis. Let's get into this. So I, as I said, they sent this, her dress to a bunch of different labs to analyze, what the hell was all over it? Uh, now I did end up finding one of the actual reports, uh, and this is pretty interesting. This is d- this was done by an actual lab. They sent her the full dress, and they took like patches and swaths of the dress and analyzed many different parts. And there's these weird stains, especially up on the shoulders, which they say is like where she would be being grabbed by the aliens. Um, now, the findings. So they do the, they run all these fucking tests. Now, they find that um, there's particles. So Betty says she folded this dress up, forgot about it for a few weeks, looked at it. There was this pink powder that kind of blew off when she hung it on the clothesline, but there were these stains. Now, they said some of these stains were mildew, um, so it was just a f- like moisture couldn't escape when it was folded up. So this mildew kind of grew on the dress. Um, now, they also found household components in natural oils, um, as well as DNA types. Now, the DNA types are fairly interesting um, because they're essentially found on all different uh, patches of where these, like, stains are. So, they found some, like, <coughs> soil bacteria, um, which... I guess is odd because it's not, it's not like Betty was ever on the ground at one point. This is also like a brand new dress, um, which her mother had made. Um, They also found excess of mildew and other foreign material. Now this is, this is where the lining was ripped and it's noted that the right sleeve was totally permeated with pink material. More so than the left sleeve, which indicates a tighter grip on her was necessary if we're going off the whole like this was the aliens holding her. Um, Now, one of the more interesting pieces they found was Hong mine DNA. Now, this was on the right sleeve, and this is a DNA sequence. It's like a rare Asian uh, DNA. Um,
2: Like a Chinese?
1: (laughs) Yeah, like a Chinese. Which is fucking weird because they, they, all right, this is, I don't know how to really explain this. Like the DNA sequencing is all fucking weird, but they find all this weird organic material that they can't say like equivocally what it is, but this hung mind DNA. So I was looking more into this and apparently
3: they did have slanted eyes.
1: So. <laughs> well, hold on to that thought because that's important. Now, furthermore, I was reading into, I guess there's this guy, Bill, um, Schalker. He wrote this book, Hair of the Alien. Um, and this is a whole nother case we can get into. This is from Peter Kuroi. Um, he, this is a completely different abduction. Um, and I think his was in like the nineties or two thousands. Um, but again, they found this, he had this blonde hair that was left behind and, they did a DNA test on this hair and it said it was a rare Chinese Mongoloid type DNA. Um, so it's like Chinese Mongol mix, I guess. And furthermore, the root of the hair was a rare Basque Gaelic type. Um, so I guess what they're saying with this whole case was that it's a indication of like genetic engineering. Um, and so if you go off this case, we have the same dna sequence that's present on betty's dress i mean what what do we make of that that's that's fucking crazy right
3: yeah that so it's a basically a blend it's like a blended dna that's blended what i genes.
1: yeah i believe that's what they're kind of saying and maybe As as I'm thinking, so I'm reading more into this hair thing, and I'll also link that original like finding of the dress because that's the most interesting thing. They find all this weird organic material on this dress. Um, So maybe this was a Chinese spy balloon, and these were Chinese aliens that abducted them, and that's why they couldn't understand their language. That's why they're doing all these weird seemingly human tests. I mean, what are we thinking there?
3: They were short with dark hair and slanted eyes.
1: Or are they saying that basically aliens are like Chinese or Chinese are just like Asians are de- you, dude, Billy, you're a descendant of aliens,
3: basically. That, I mean, that would be insane. <laughs> like, what if they just like met accidentally, like just ran into a group of Yakuza that just, you know, Yakuza that just happened to be hanging out in the White Mountains.
1: Now that's Japanese. That's not Chinese.
3: Well, well, I mean, what, if the- <laughs> well, what would be the equivalent of uh, Yakuza? What China? if these
2: aliens just got back from a Chinese expedition and they were abducting some guys over in China?
1: Oh, that could be. Okay. That's where the like, warts come into play.
2: We well, just were in China and then they fucking thats how they grabbed um, this guy and some of the other guy's DNA got on Betty's dress.
1: That could be. Okay. All right. Because now- they're
2: taking skin samples and shit.
1: Okay, but what about the aliens with the slanted eyes? I don't know. I think maybe aliens gen- had some This is this speaks volumes to genetic engineering. I think David Icke is right, dude. Anunnaki, man. The fucking aliens are here. They fucking have a hybrid agenda. Um they've back-engineered humans for years. I I think this this proves it. We just blew the lid off this fucker. Um this proves it. Yeah. Now how about this, perhaps based on Barney's um hypnosis session, were they perhaps raped by Irish Nazis? They don't have that kind of technology. The Irish Nazis? Yeah. You don't know what kind of technology they have. These could be the Nazis that escaped down to Antarctica and live in New Schwabenland in the hollow earth. And they're flying up to New Hampshire to abduct
2: some guy and his wife.
1: Yes, dude. And what are these? They're a biracial couple. We know the fucking Nazis don't like that. Of course, they're going to want to fuck with these people.
2: Mm. Right? Highly unlikely. (laughs) Okay. Highly unlikely
1: (laughs) that they were raped by Irish Nazis.
2: I think... I like my, my idea better. They were, they just got done abducting some guy in China. Okay. And some of that guy's DNA fell off on Betty's dress.
1: All right. All right. Cause
2: they're out here s- taking skin samples for some weird reason.
1: Okay. Yeah. Now uh, again,
2: damn butter knife
1: back to my whole like, uh, theory on like a hate crime. Like maybe they were like beaten up or like raped in the woods or something. Jesus. Barney talks about I listened to the full session um, that I found Barney talks about being robbed in the first hypnosis session. And I don't know, that's just kind of struck me as weird. Like, why would he talk about being robbed? It's not like these aliens took anything except their dignity. Um, Jesus. <laughs> you know but just- and also I'm thinking just a general question what the fuck happened to the dog when this was going on they just left that poor girl in the car somebody needs to um, hypnotic hypnotically regress the dog we need a dog whisper in here to have done some studies <laughs> to on what the was dog, really right? going on yeah um, <laughs> I think that would be awesome now also the this goes back to like what you were saying with the map Billy like These aliens seem to be pretty advanced, you know, if they can do interstellar travel and uh, telepathically communicate, wave away pain. Why are they using all these seemingly, like, dated means of data collection, you know?
3: Yeah, like I said, if it's... He pulled a map down like they did in my fifth grade class in elementary school (laughs) yeah but not only even
1: that also they're like looking into their eyes and mouths like a doctor's exam like why why would they even need to do this
3: yeah a billion years theoretically of of advanced technology and the best they can come up with is a (laughs) A pull down map map. (laughs) so we're still dwelling on the map it seems like that's a big hanging up point a little bit
2: I mean,
1: I don't know. It's
2: I think just, maybe she just weird. didn't describe it well i'm I'm thinking maybe
3: this was a three d map
1: right well, she did describe okay. it as a a hologram,
3: i think, but that's um, a complete that's complete conjecture though
1: well, I was thinking maybe it's like he pulled this screen down and then it's like a terrarium like a terrarium like you're looking into this like window almost hmm
3: right but again wouldn't she have been like oh is this crazy technology like mm,
1: i don't know maybe she was just simple dude maybe um jack
3: but simple jack um
1: i mean what are we thinking about the whole theories like what's your best theory what do you think was the best running theory here do you think this was a genuine abduction do you think they were raped by irish nazis what do we got
2: I don't think they're raped by Irish Nazis. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's I, don't just, think uh, this is, I don't think that's like, uh, <laughs> a hate crime that was just subdued by their memory. You don't think that? I think that it was, I think the, the most logical explanation is it was like some weird fucking government covert weird thing going on. Oh, Fucked God, them yeah. up. Took him in for some investigation. We're like, all right, we don't need these guys.
1: Gave them acid. Said, get the fuck. I mean, maybe on.
2: who knows what they gave him. Right. It doesn't sound like acid.
1: Well, this is 60s acid, dude. This is um, a, this, a
2: light dose.
1: No, this is the same shit Charles Manson was using, dude. You know, orange, I guess. Orange sunshine.
2: It just seems like uh, it's not really adding up, you know.
1: All right, so what are you thinking then? What happened?
2: I think it was a government mishap.
1: Okay, government mishap. And Bill, what about you?
3: It, ultimately, I I want to believe them. I think that they went through something traumatic, especially from the recordings of the hip, you know, hip, hypnosis sessions and whatnot. I think they definitely went through something, but I don't necessarily think that it's aliens. Like I think it can be a lot of different things. Like we don't we don't know what the hit what the you know his role was in the war. Like if he saw a combat, he may have had PTSD. It could have been MK Ultra experiments on them and psychedelics. It could have been dreams. It could have been her dream, and then he just maybe suffered from PTSD. So I don't know. I think that Bonnie, I whatever that dream it was, again. was a shame. Yeah.
1: Okay, so you were basically have no idea.
3: It's I, basically the only conclusion that I can come up with is, I think it happened in their mind, and they trick they made themselves believe that it actually happened to them.
1: Okay, all right. So to round this one out, Betty and Barney Hill were not the first people to spot a UFO. They weren't even the first to report an abduction. Uh, But their story did seem to capture the nation's attention and imagination. Now, perhaps this played on the turbulence of racism coupled with the Cold War. Uh, You know, the future was looking grim. Maybe this story gave people hope that there is a higher intelligence out there who may have the power to save us. Uh, You know, things are eerily similar these days with racial tensions, Russian invasions, and once again, unidentified craft. Um, Like I said, maybe this was a Chinese spy balloon. Um, (laughs) Now, whatever the cause, this encounter was widely publicized and hugely popular. Um, The Hills encounter, whether you believe them or not, has shaped how we talk about alien encounters and abductions to this day. Abduction accounts typically seem to share certain characteristics that can be traced back to this starting point. Medical examinations and missing time, these are two massive hallmarks in abduction scenarios. Aliens with large heads, big mesmerizing eyes dubbed greys, have become classic staples not only in reported encounters, but also in sci-fi and pop culture. You got movies like Close Encounters of the Third Kind and Communion, TV shows like The X-Files, Dark Skies, even comedies like American Dad and Resident Alien. Uh, Grays and abduction scenarios similar to this are now a part of the culture, so to speak. Richard J. McNally, a Harvard psychologist, puts it this way, The Hill Story And those that came after helped pave the way for a new understanding of the human experience. The alien abduction phenomenon, in my opinion, shows how sincere, non-psychotic individuals can develop beliefs about, and false memories of, incredible experiences that never happened. Now my question to you, the loyal Legion, is, what do you think happened? Uh, now, we'll end this one with our rating, our classic rating system with this case. Um, Flat Earth being, you know, didn't happen, least likely, bunch of bullshit. Moon landing, little more believable, but still mostly bullshit. Nine eleven, completely undecided. JFK, little more likely. And then MKUltra, fully proven that it happened. What are you guys rating this one? Let's start with you bill flat earth damn okay so yeah. you're bullshit so you're saying this is complete bullshit the hills made everything up
3: i'm not saying they made it up but i'm just saying like what the harvard dude said they honestly sincerely <laughs> be- well <laughs> n- okay okay wait wait hold on when you say make it up like it sounds like it's like this nefarious thing like trying like to get flat attention earth. or you know but if you really believe that some of this stuff happened to you, you're gonna have a genuine reaction, talking about it and all that stuff. So, I I, I don't know, man. I just think like there there's a, there are some weird things about it, but I I just I think there's too much to unpack for me to totally buy it.
1: All right, Rob, what do you got?
2: I'm giving it the uh, old JFK rating. Okay, JFK. So you're pretty much on board. Well, in the similarities to JFK, I'm saying something happened. We're not sure what happened or how it happened, but something traumatic definitely has happened to these individuals. Okay. Was it aliens? Was it government (laughs) interference? We don't know. But something happened to the point where – you know, these this guy is fucking crying in a hypnosis session. So
1: <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, true, yeah. I'm going. Uh, I'll go a peg down from that one. I'm going nine eleven. Undecided. Uh, you know, I do. I definitely think something ex- insanely traumatic happened. Like I said, I I believe it broke both of them. Barney more physically, Betty more mentally. Uh, whether that be aliens or MK Ultra mind control. It's kind of up in the air. I don't know. Or whether it be a hate crime, you know, I really don't know. I'd be interested to see where this Obama, Obama documentary <laughs> goes. You know, I'd, I'll be interesting to see the route that it takes and what they find in their research. Um, but yeah, let us know what you guys think. There you have it. The, the Hill incident. Like I said, I, I will link the hypnosis sessions along with the dress Findings DNA analysis in the description. Um, on this one, I want to cite History.com, How Betty and Barney Hill's Alien Abduction Story Defined the Genre by Linda Lacina. Uh, Look Magazine for the article Aboard a Flying Saucer by John G. Fuller. Uh, medium.com for a great series of articles by Bryce Zabel. Um, the collection of articles is called On the Trail of the Saucers. Um I think this guy did a really good write-up on many many facets of this case. uh mysteriousuniverse.org for the article by Nick Redfern. uh gravitywarpdrive.com The Zeta Reticuli Incident by Terence Dickinson. Um then the blackvault.com for a piece on the dress analysis and yumpoo com For the entire original NICAP report. And on that.
2: Loyal Legion, as always, thanks for tuning in. Um, if you want to reach out to us, whether it's email or DMs, Podcast from Outer Space will be our Instagram, Podcast from Outer Space at gmail.com. Or you can slide over to our website, Podcast from Outer uh, There you can see all of our merch. Uh, You can check out old episodes and you can uh, shoot us a message there if you'd like.
3: Yeah. And uh, thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in again. We appreciate you all. Um, I just wanted to also mention that my musical project, Survive the Night, um, we're a pop trio and we just uh, dropped our latest song, um, Talk. It's a single, so go check that out. It's on Spotify and Apple Music. Um, And yeah. Thank you so much, Loyal Legion, and we will see you on the flip side of the moon. <laughs>
2: when the night has come,